board reviews and makes recommendations to the mayor and Denver City Council on rezoning request, district design standards, and other land use rules. This meeting of the Denver Planning Board begins now. Good afternoon. I'd like to call the order of the uh, January 17th, 2024 meeting of the Denver Planning Board. We will start with roll call and I'll just have us go around and state our names. Sarah Force. Jordan Block. Rachel Marion. Angel Bonefoot. Melissa McKeon. Gosha Khan. And I'm Caitlin Quander and I'm also here. And um, uh, Mary Coddington and Heidi Majerik have indicated their absence. We will here shortly. That's the machine. And then is Fred online? You need to ask her to participate remotely. Maybe joining. Maybe joining later. Okay. All right. So we have three absences right now. So we do have a four. Um. <clears throat> Planning board reserves time at the beginning of every meeting for public comment. This is for any item that does not have a hearing uh, and is not on the regular agenda. So this is the time for the public to let us know something you think planning board should know. Planning board will not be responding or entering into a dialogue because it is not on the publicly noticed agenda. If you are here to give comment on, on something you would like planning board to know about that is not on the agenda, please raise your hand and we'll have three minutes. Hey, Con. Uh, okay, not seeing anyone in the room. Um, we do have one online. Uh, Patrick Lavin, um, please state your name and your address. Um, and uh, just to confirm, you're not speaking on anything on the agenda. Hi, yes, my name is Patrick Lavin, uh, 2885 Elm Street, and this is not for an agenda item. Okay, go ahead. You have three minutes. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, yes, yeah, so as stated, um, I'm Patrick Lavin. I live in Park Hill, um, and I would just like to provide a general comment to the board in regard to the Park Hill golf course. Uh, the planning department's vision for the golf course was rejected last year by voters, and um, both the new mayor and new members of city council issued statements saying that they would honor the will of the voters. I personally would like to see the property be a public park, but absent of that, the 2019 legal settlement between the city and Westside states that the city may terminate the forbearance and require a golf course. And so if we aren't getting a park, then I would like to see a golf course. And I believe the planning board should be uh, supportive of that and, and pushing for that. So um, yeah, it just, um, absent of moving forward with the park or a clear vision for that, um, I would like to see the property returned to the golf course in accordance with the 20, 2019 legal settlement. Uh, that's my comment. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Lavin. Um, we'll have the record reflect that Claude Hurton has also joined for the board. Um, are there any other members of the public for general public comment? Okay, seeing none, uh, we do not have any meeting records for approval. So we will move on to our regular agenda. Um, oh, sorry, before I do, I wanted to call to see if there were any disclosures. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, 
Do any planning board members have any items for disclosure for or recusal today? I will be recusing myself from the rezoning at 584 South Ferry. I'm part of the applicant team, so I will step off and look to the audience for that. Great. Item number four on the agenda. Thank you. Any others? Okay. There we go. Um, and before we move into our agenda, I did want to um, flag... There are some items on our regular agenda uh, that staff has indicated we could waive the staff presentation on. And those are um, items number two, three, four, five, and seven. Um, and I can give you those addresses. Two is 1168, three is 1410 South Humble, four is 548 South Perry, five is 3446 South Patton Way, and seven is 4675 East Island Avenue. So that means that staff has indicated that um, uh, they believe that those are consistent with rezoning criteria and have not generated significant controversy. That said, I would like to understand if there's anyone here from the public who would like to speak on any of these items, um, either online or in person, if you could just raise your hand. Yeah, go ahead, Andrew. My apologies, everyone. It looks like the, the numbering of the agenda got slightly reordered in the version that went out today. So the... Oh, the items that you highlighted actually are on the on on the current agenda. Items five, six, oh, you're right. seven. Started, we started at one, at eight, it? and ten. Yes. Which agenda? Because yeah. they're numbered differently on the two <laughs> Maybe we'll just use addresses. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the one that is printed and printed, those left in your table. They're, they're, they're different. The draft motions have the right numbering that you're talking oh. about. Okay, so I will not refer to agenda item numbers. I'll just refer to application numbers and addresses. So um, I'm curious if there's anyone here from the public who would like to speak to item uh, 00123, which is 1168. And I don't see anyone online. Okay. Uh, 00152, which is 1410 South Humboldt Street. Is there anyone here from the public on that one? And online, no one. Uh, 00127, which is 548 South Perry Street. Anyone here from the public? Just raise your hand if you are. And anyone online? Don't see anyone. Uh, the next is 00132, which is 3446 South Patton Way. Anyone here in person? Or online? All right. And then the last is 00142, which is 4675 East Island. Is there anyone here in person online? I'm a public member. I'm Great. interested in that one. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, and I think we may. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, we have two people online as well on that one. Um, okay, so with that, um, staff has highlighted those cases. Um, would any member of the board object to waiving the staff presentation for those items or like to pull any of those items for a staff presentation? We do, just for the members of the public, we do still hold and open a public hearing on every single one of them, so you would still have the opportunity to speak. We would just not see the full kind of 10, 15-minute staff presentation that's available on the website. Anybody want to pull those ones off? Okay, with that, I'll take a motion and a second to weigh the staff presentations. I so waive the staff presentation. Thank you, and I'll call roll call. Roll call vote, Sarah. 
Jordan. Aye. Rachel. Aye. Bob. Melissa. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's going to be a really long night. <laughs> and Jill. Uh, Jill, thank you. Aye. Melissa. Aye. Uh, go, Jill. And I vote aye as well. Thank you. Um, all right, with that, we will go ahead and open the public hearing for application 2023I0093. This is for zoning multiple properties in the Hale neighborhood from ESUDX, ESUG, and USUC to ESUD1X, ESUG1, and USUC1. Um, and I think, uh, Councilwoman Sawyer, um, do you want to kick us off with any opening words or do you want to go ahead and have the staff presentation first? Staff presentation is great. Thank great. All right, go ahead. And I think Tony Lechuga is here for that. Thank you. All right, I think we are Good to go. So my name is Tony Lechuga. I'm a planner with Community Planning and Development, and I'm going to be presenting the staff report for this Hale Neighborhoods EDU, which is requesting uh, to change three, as a council-sponsored uh, action, requesting to change three single-unit districts to uh, ease the restrictions to allow ADUs within the neighborhood. So uh, let's begin with the, the request. So if you take a look at this map, um, everything that is in color on the map is some area within the Hale Statistical Neighborhood that currently has single unit zoning. Um, you can see the yellow area along 6th, uh, 6th Avenue to the south. Um, that is ESUG currently. Um, you see just north of that uh, and occupying a large chunk of the neighborhood is uh, an ESUD1 district in that bluish purplish color. And then in that minty color, you can see the proposed USUC district. Um, so all told, uh, it would be these three different districts that would be rezoned to allow those property owners, should they choose to, uh, to build an accessory dwelling unit on their property. In terms of location and context, uh, so this is, I apologize, it's this Council District 1, it's Council District 5, represented by uh, Council Member Sawyer. Um, and then you can see in here, this is where it's located within the Hale Statistical Neighborhood. So you can see a lot of the northern, eastern, and southern borders of the particular neighborhood. And then here's where you can see the existing zoning. So those single unit districts uh, that sort of uh, wrap the area in the middle. Um, so the middle, you can see a lot of higher density districts, including campus districts. This is the site of Rose Medical Center, as well as the former um, University of Colorado um, Hospital. Um, and there's still a large uh, density of housing and new commercial going in there. You'll also notice some higher density commercial along Colfax to the north with that UTUC abutting it. And then you see Colorado Boulevard forming uh, a border to the west, which also has much higher uh, zoning along that particular corridor. In terms of land use, it's exactly what we would expect for ADUs uh, and this type of request. So most of the property is, in fact, <clears throat> single unit properties. Um, there are some other properties in the area that include two-unit residential or multi-unit residential and even some uh, public and quasi-public spaces. They retain that single-unit zoning, so they are included in this uh, as well, uh, despite them having a, a higher-intensity land use at this moment. In terms of existing context, uh, so these are three different images that throw, show the three different uh, existing districts. 
So starting on the bottom, you can see that's the U, uh, or sorry, ESUG district. Um, so you can see um, larger homes on very large properties. That's associated with the G at the end of the of the zone district. Um, the middle shows those ESUDX properties, uh, very typical of these sort of one to one and a half story homes, again, on large lots uh, with deep setbacks. And then uh, that top picture shows homes that are sort of uh, typical of the USUC zone district. Not a whole lot of difference in build form and scale. Uh, the neighborhood has sort of a, a, a standard uniform look of the a Denver neighborhood of this age. Uh, moving into a process. So in terms of our public process, um, informational notice went out to every property owner within the boundary and within 200 feet back in November. We sent out notices about this hearing and today we have our hearing uh, at planning board. Um, in terms of public outreach that the council member conducted, um, so uh, the council member sent property owner postcards and flyers, held two virtual town halls, uh, had a public survey that was available for two months online, and included information about this proposal in a council newsletter over the course of three months. Um, the council member survey had 212 participants, with 124 of those saying they were in favor of this rezoning, 78 saying they were opposed, and 10 being unsure. Uh, there were a number of other participants in the survey that lived outside of the district, uh, and it's my understanding the council member's staff sort of weeded those ones out. Um, in terms of RNOs in the area, we've received no public, uh, no comments. Uh, for members of the public, we've received one letter of support, uh, and as of the writing of this staff report, uh, we've received six letters of opposition, uh, noting uh, fears of increased traffic, density, uh, and out-of-scale buildings uh, that are not in character with the neighborhood. In terms of the review criteria, there are only three because this is a legislative rezoning. Um, so we will go through the three of those now, starting with consistency with adopted plans. Um, we're going to start with looking at Blueprint Denver. So Blueprint Denver calls for these areas to maintain the same zoning that they currently have in terms of neighborhood context. Urban, urban edge, with one small uh, exception, which is if you notice uh, just north of 12th Avenue, sort of in the middle of the neighborhood, there is this special district. Um, that property is currently um, uh, occupied by uh, mental health service providers, and there is a small portion of their property that sticks into an SU district. That portion of their property is included only because it currently has an SU district, and we are maintaining that SU district. If they ever came forward in the future and wanted to rezone to a different special district, this would obviously provide plan support for that. So they are not beholden to this simply because of this rezoning. The same can be seen on here, which is the future places type. Again, everywhere on the map is either low residential or low medium residential, which Blueprint says ADUs are appropriate within, except for again, that small section that is campus. In terms of street typologies, uh, we see that most of the avenues running east-west through the neighborhood have uh, residential arterial designations. Um, Holly on the southern portion between 8th and 6th has a, a residential collector designation. Otherwise, everywhere is a local street. So we see primarily residential uses, uh, primarily residential streets. This rezoning does nothing to change that. And in terms of future growth strategies, again, all other areas of the city where we see modest increase in housing by 2040, um, and then that one district's designation. We did an equity analysis given the size of this site, and we can go through this pretty quickly. Um, this area actually has really good access to opportunity compared to most of the city, and a lot of that is buttressed by uh, the transportation and density of um, open space and fresh foods that exist along both Colfax and Colorado Boulevard, as well as some of the new development that's happened along 9th Avenue. 
in terms of vulnerability to involuntary displacement, um, the neighborhood is actually fairly split with most of the eastern half having uh, no vulnerability to involuntary displacement, which suggests that folks in that area have higher incomes, higher levels of educational attainment, uh, and higher, uh, typically higher wealth. Uh, what we do see, though, is on the western portion of the site, uh, higher levels of vulnerability to involuntary displacement. Uh, we believe that the creation of ADUs would allow for a new housing typology in a neighborhood that doesn't have a whole lot of income-restricted units, does not have high levels of affordability, and therefore would provide new types of housing to keep residents in place. It would also allow private property owners to build an ADU, rent that out, and create opportunities for individual homeowners to generate additional wealth for themselves in those areas. So we see ADUs as helping to uh, relieve some of that vulnerability. In terms of housing diversity, uh, again, the neighborhood as a whole has really low housing diversity scores. Um, there's sort of a ubiquitous housing type throughout the entire neighborhood. ADUs would help us to break that by providing an additional level uh, of, of housing type and potential affordability. And in terms of jobs, really good access to jobs in this area, again, buttressed by Col uh, Colfax and Colorado Boulevard being uh, high density commercial corridors where people could have access to jobs. So building housing near jobs, uh, would be great. Moving to the East Area Plan. Um, so the East Area Plan mirrors Blueprint Denver in its future place types, low medium, uh, low residential, low medium, and campus. So again, all of those are recommended to accommodate ADUs, uh, and so this aligns with that. Furthermore, there are a couple of land use goals um, within the East Area Plan um, that point towards ensuring that neighborhoods have access to uh, our, our inclusive places through building ADUs, um, implementing our adopted citywide policies in Blueprint Denver through the expansion of ADUs, and again, that very specific language uh, on hail land use, HLB, HL2B, to integrate accessory dwelling units in appropriate locations. Again, those would be anywhere where single unit is there. Um, so we very much see the plan support for this uh, proposal. In terms of the other two review criteria, um, this would necessarily result in uniformity of district regulations. And in terms of furthering public health, safety, and general welfare, we believe that it expands uh, housing diversity and opportunities for residents at a range of income levels. It would also allow families to grow in place as they could build ADUs to help with expanding families. Um, it would provide flexibility um, to private property owners that they don't already afford. Uh, and therefore, we believe that it meets that criteria. Um, therefore, uh, staff recommends approval based on findings three review criteria being met. Great. Thank you very much, Tony. Um, with that, um, we typically have a staff presentation here from the applicant and then we hear from the public. And I can tell them I'm sorry, are you the applicant? I don't know if you have any comments to share. Thank you. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me today. Um, for those of you, I know all of the planning board members. Hi, it's great to see you. For those of you who don't know me, Amanda Sawyer, um, I represent Denver City Council District 5. Um, uh, you will see in your staff report, and I and believe my staff passed out hard copies to all of you. Um, so we did a very robust public outreach process um, because we wanted to make sure that we had statistically valid information to work from when it comes to um, whether to move forward with this rezoning or not. Um, it is obviously, uh, ADUs are a conversation um, that have been happening within the city for a very long time. Um, it was a very significant part of the conversation during the East Area Plan process. Um, 
However, that said, um, you know, we wanted to make sure that it was supported by the neighborhood before moving forward with it. Um, I will tell you, for example, the Montclair neighborhood, when we had the same public outreach process and conversation with them, did not support this. Um, and so within the statistically valid survey that uh, that we and the information that we received from the Montclair neighborhood, we just if you look within the margin of error, we couldn't get over 50%. We were not sure that we were over 50%. And so, um, you know, that wasn't something we were comfortable moving forward with Hale um, and the survey responses that we received from Hale residents. Um, it is over 50%, even if you include the margin of error in there, um, which is the signal for my staff and I that we feel strongly that this is something that we should move forward with because there is the community support for it. I will also say that there is legislation at the state right now to allow ADUs across the state of Colorado. So this is coming either way. Um, this, I, this is the fourth time I have stood in front of you to do this and probably the last because um, it will happen uh, statewide. And I will say Denver City Council is working with um, CPD right now uh, on an AD, citywide ADU rezoning um, that will be coming forward, I believe, sometime this year, you guys. Yes, I'm seeing heads nod. Um, so with that said, you know, we feel that in our neighborhoods, it's really important to keep the character of the neighborhood. Um, the ADU zoning does not change single unit zoning. Still, It's still single unit, um, but it does add to the diversity of housing type. It does add to um, property options for property owners in terms of whether to use it as a rental, um, whether to use it as a space for um, you know aging family members, um, whether to use it as a short-term rental, et cetera. So um, we think that uh, ADUs are the solution for how to bring um, housing diversity and um, and more housing to a district that is relatively, um, homogenous when it comes to use types. And um, since we have the support that shows that the residents, mm -hmm. or at least a majority of residents within the statistically valid uh, margin of error are supportive of it, we are really uh, grateful to CPD staff for helping us prepare this application and, um, and happy to be here to answer any questions for you all. Thanks. Thank you. Um, with that, we'll go ahead and open this up for public testimony. So all persons wishing to speak, um, we have asked that you register in advance, either in writing by signing up in the room or online. And I know we have a number of people online. Um, so I'll call you up in order, both online and in person. Uh, speakers are limited to three minutes unless translation or other accommodations are needed. And if that is the case, please do let us know. Um, Speakers will be given a 30 second warning and then a signal when their time's expired. Please start by uh, your with your name and address if you're comfortable. Um, and please do uh, indicate if you support, oppose, or are neutral about the proposal as that's helpful for us. Um, and I do for the record just want to reflect that Fred Flick, um, a planning board member is now on remotely. Um, and I don't know, Fred, were you here for the beginning of that staff presentation? No, I was not. So I will abstain from this item. Okay, thanks so much. Um, all right, so with that, um, I don't believe we have anyone in the room, but I'll do a double check at the end on that one. And we'll start with online. I believe there's a Denise Rach, and please correct me if I uh, misstate your name. Um, if you could raise your hand and unmute, Denise Rach online. I'm here. Oh, in person, all right. You registered online, but you're here. Great, go ahead and come on up to the microphone if you don't mind. Uh, 
um, I'm speaking on behalf of the neighborhoods that surround the area and just drive through Capitol Hill. There's no parking anywhere. It will jam the streets. There are 6250 lots to 5850 is the usual in there. And where you put an ADU unit will further take away from Denver has gorgeous neighborhoods. And I might say had, you don't need to jam them and destroy what we have. And I'm sorry, but we are represented by someone from California and we do not need to California Cape, Colorado. Thank you. Um, the next person we have um, who at least registered online is David Margolin here in the room or online. I think I see it online. Uh, David Margolin, go ahead and unmute, name and address, and you have three minutes. David Margolin, go ahead and unmute. We can't hear you yet. All right, I know, David, if you can, oh, no, okay. We'll come back around to you if you're able to unmute. Go ahead and keep your hand up and we'll come back around and check with you um, at the end. Um, and the next person registered put RK, um, and I think they register on Zoom. Um, if you could give your, your full name um, and your address, that uh, would be great. And you've got three minutes, thank you. RK, can you go ahead and unmute online? All right, we will see if it's maybe on our side <laughs> um, and maybe move to the next. Uh, David and RK, we will come back to you um, at the end to give you the opportunity to try again. Um, Susan Rutherford has registered online. Is Susan in the room or online? Susan Rutherford, um, go ahead and unmute and state your name and address and you have three minutes. Hello, this is Susan Rutherford. Great, we can hear you, go ahead. Thank you. Hi, Caitlin. <laughs> um, well, I, I am a, a resident uh, living on 6th Avenue Parkway. And I think one of the important things to think about, of, of course, there are all the concerns that are often brought forward with ADUs. When we think about our neighborhood, one of the things that's unique about the 6th Avenue Parkway area particularly is that it is a nationally historically designated area. And part of the reason for that designation is the beauty of the open space that we have on the parkway. And the neighborhood was specifically designed as well to reflect that sense of open space and a certain unique quality and character to the neighborhood which allows for the, the, the elegance and the beauty of the architecture that's reflected along the parkway and in the neighborhoods surrounding it as well. And I think it's really quite unrealistic to think that in some way, adding uh, many different additional structures does not have a significant impact 
on the neighborhood, the quality of it, the beauty of it, the, the experience of the neighborhood. And, and that's why people have chosen to live here and what makes it special. And again, there are places that are appropriate for additional density and different kinds of housing. And there's also a place and a space for preserving places that have been designed to reflect a certain kind of architecture, openness, neighborhood, quality of community. The ADUs unequivocally alter that quality and character of the neighborhood. Of course, there's density concerns, parking concerns, traffic concerns, rental property concerns, how all, how all of the ADUs um, are approved in terms of what they will look like, how one will experience one's neighbors, one's backyard, one's front yard, the way that we experience neighborhood is um, irrevocably altered by this. And I think it's um, very concerning. Additionally, I think there should be particular consideration given to the neighborhoods along the parkway. And so that would particularly be the area from 6th Avenue to 8th Avenue and between Colorado and Holly in particular as um, a particular area to ask for consideration to remove that from this particular area as well. So I thank you for the opportunity to speak. Thank you. Um, and the next speaker is Claudia Crawford, registered online. Um, Claudia, go ahead and mute state your name and address for the record. Thank you. <clears throat> okay, my name is Claudia Crawford. I live at 1349 Birch Street and I am against the ADUs in Hale. Um, I, this is not a historic neighborhood. I happen to live across the street from a historic home. And I do believe that ADUs will significantly change the, um, the look and feel of this, um, again, beautiful and uh, lovely neighborhood. However, I'm also concerned about the fact that we do have a neighborhood park that many of us use and take our dogs to very, you know, daily. And a lot of the streets and sidewalks in this neighborhood are not full-size sidewalks, which force you, especially with walking with a dog or another person, to walk out onto the street. I think, um, you know, additional cars and traffic and um, is going to be dangerous for those of us that use the park and walk in the neighborhood, which is a very common occurrence. Um, I, you know, I, I agree with some of the other speakers in terms of um, changing your relationship with your neighbors. Um, and I, I am not for this ADU, even though it does sound like the city is going to make that decision for us. I also have a problem with some of the flyers that were sent to the neighborhood because they state only the positive part, the advantages of ADUs. I think in, in terms of presenting information in an even and fair way, we need to have those flyers reflect the positive and the negative um, aspects of having ADUs in the neighborhood. I don't think um, flyers that only show the positive, and I feel the same way about this lights on Denver business, which I disagree with. If we live in very dense neighborhoods, um, and I don't want to get into that because this is not the topic, but you know, this is, in, you know, when you live in a closely 
um, where the homes are built closely together, you know, we are very impacted by um, what our neighbors are doing. So um, I would just like to speak out against that. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Crawford. Um, the next speaker registered is Joan French, um, I believe online. Uh, Joan, if you are online, go ahead and unmute and state your name and address and you have three minutes. Good afternoon. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, I'd like to speak to the houses, so part of this area in particular, and that's those houses that form that neighborhood around 6th Avenue Parkway. As I assume all of you know, that uh, parkway was placed on the National Register of Historic Places simply because the parks and parkways in Denver reflect uh, a, a uniqueness about Denver and um, and that it that plant that they speak to that and that that is why they felt that it was important to Denver's own uniqueness. We now see that a, over time a neighborhood has developed around Sixth Avenue Parkway, and uh, these this neighborhood is one as has already been said by speakers. So I won't repeat all of that, but it it in so many ways is a unique neighborhood, one of many in Denver. But I think we really want to watch very carefully what we do. I feel like we're caretakers. Uh, for our city, uh, living as we do now in, in history and, and that we need to continue to do what our forefathers, really our founding fathers, uh, intentionally set up a plan of these beautiful parks and parkways. And uh, as I say, they are reflected so much in this neighborhood. I have a counter proposal to suggest to you, and that is that you remove the houses that are immediately uh, on that frontage, the north uh, area from 6th Avenue uh, up to approximately 8th Avenue, and then from Colorado to Holly. Those houses, by the way, were not, I don't believe, measured in your survey that you did. Uh, I spoke to many, many, many of the people who live in this area to get their feedback on this proposal. Not one has mentioned being surveyed. And I didn't hear that in your uh, reflected in the results that you said either. Um, I think that this area ought to be surveyed and uh, that we ought to get the feedback from the people. But what I would ultimately like to see is that these these homes in this area be removed from this entire plan. Um, they still the individuals will have the chance for their own zoning to um, to pursue their own zoning variances if they wish to do that. So it's not, um, it's not uh, out of the question for them ultimately. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, what you're uh, considering today and that hope that you will uh, consider this compromise as a viable means to the end of helping, helping maintain this area, this neighborhood. Thank you, Ms. French. And I may have missed it. Um... Uh, could you give me your address or cross streets if you're comfortable? Yes, 4330 East 6th Avenue. Thank you. Um, all right, next online, we have Alan Melton signed up. Is there an Alan Melton? Um, and uh, go ahead and unmute and state your name and address and you have three minutes. I don't know if we're seeing them. No Alan Melton online yet. Okay, we'll come back around at the end. Uh, Lucas Hagen. Lucas. Um, Go ahead and state your name and address and you have three minutes if you unmute. Thank you. 
Hi, uh, my name is Lucas Hagen. I live off of 8th Avenue in the area in question, and I would like to speak out in support of this um, rezoning. I think ADUs are an important part of a comprehensive affordable housing strategy, and I think that Denver is very much, and I think the data bears this out across the board, um, has a massive affordable housing shortage. Additionally, I was speaking to one of my neighbors here recently who is going to be putting his house on the market due to an in, uh, because he won't be able to afford it. And he had wished he had had the opportunity to uh, build an ADU or something like that to help him stay in the home. Additionally, I would just like to provide some background information on ADUs and the impact they have on neighborhoods. Um, I understand that my neighbors are um, tentative or hesitant or opposed to uh, allowing ADUs, but I would also like to point out that just because they're uh, permitted doesn't mean that it'll um, overwhelmingly or very quickly change the feel of the neighborhood. It will not turn us into Cap Hill. Um, this doesn't uh, permit like eight-story apartment blocks or something to that effect. Um, and it also, um, uh, our neighbors will still have to um, it'll take time to build the ADUs and so on and so forth. Uh, so um, this won't necessarily overhaul the neighborhood as quickly, but it will provide crucial means for our neighbors to uh, stay in their homes and also provide other additional um, housing, uh, excuse me, in an area that is currently uh, lacking in housing diversity. Thank you. Thank you. The next speaker is Ann Botterud. Uh, Anne, if you are online, go ahead and unmute and state your name and address, and you have three minutes. Anne, I don't think we have you unmuted yet. Want to try again? I just tried. Can you hear me now? We can. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, I, my, my name is Ann Bodrud and I live at um, 1330 Glencoe Street. And I am not in support of ADUs for, uh, for not, um, I don't want to repeat everything that others have said, but my concerns are the same. And I do oppose the change. I bought my home um, assuming that the neighborhood would remain the same. And as I said, I have the same concerns everybody else who opposes the, um, the rezoning have. I do think it will change. Um, it will increase traffic. We all already have the um, rapid transit bus lines going in or planned for Colfax, which will vastly changed this neighborhood and not for the better. So thank you. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Uh, the next person signed up online is Beth Ellis by Zoom. Beth Ellis, go ahead and unmute, state your name and address and you have three minutes. Go hi, ahead. can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead, Ms. Ellis. Oh, hi. Hi, everybody. Thank you for holding the meeting. Um, I'm, my name is Beth Ellis. I live on the 1300 block of Glencoe, and I am in favor of the ADU. 
I would really like to be able to um, create a structure in my, you know, turn my garage into a livable space for my elderly parents. I would just like to do that comfortably and legally. And uh, yeah, that's, that's really all I have to say. I agree with the rezoning. I don't think we're going to stop the progress. I don't think we're going to stop Denver from getting more crowded by not allowing people to use their property as they would like to. Um, yeah, that's my opinion. I'm for the rezoning. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to go back up to those registered that weren't able to speak earlier. Um, it'll be David, then RK, and then Alan. So David Margolin. Um, David, go ahead and uh, try and unmute again, and we'll see if we can get you this time. David, can you can you try and speak again? Well, darn, it looks like you're unmuted on our side. So um, we'll go ahead and move on. The next speaker signed up is RK. RK, go ahead um, and state your uh, name and address and unmute for us. Hi, can you hear me now? I can, go ahead. Oh, yay, thanks. Yeah, sorry, I missed you the first time. Um, so my name is Roxanne Kuntz. I live on the corner of East 11th Avenue in Fairfax at 5040 East 11th Avenue. Um, I am opposed to the rezoning. I uh, did participate in the survey and, you know, am aware of all the, the, the flyers and, and outreach that uh, Councilwoman Sawyer had done. However, you know, again, checking with my neighbors, they were not aware of it. When I look at the survey and the um, statistics that were published by Councilwoman Sawyer's office, you know, at the in, including the margin of error, taking that into account, you, you're just barely over 50%. Um, additionally, of the 382 total responses, over 170 were not considered. Now, there might be valid reasons for that. I know that in the in the Montclair survey, you know. There were reasons there given around, you know, non-unique responses, but I think if that's the case, um, even if there were, you know, a handful of those responses that were not uh, considered were valid, you know, then you're below the 50%. Uh, additionally, when you look at the comments, so just sort of the sentiment analysis in the survey, you know, me, just by my eye reading through them, they they seem roundly negative or opposed to the, um, the rezoning. So sort of, you know, why wasn't that done? Overall, taking into account the um, just the, you know, comments that people submitted. Uh, secondly, you know, just going back to what, why do we need this? Um, I just read an article today by Denverite that there are over 23,000 vacant apartment units with an additional, I think, 40,000 to be built next year or, you know, soon. So what is the impetus behind this? Are we, do we really think that, you know, homeowners, have we looked at the cost of building ADUs? Um, you know, I'm, I, in my neighborhood, at least around me, the uh, building, the houses that are going up are by developers. Um, you know, second major reason is the in, increase in impervious surfaces. So in my particular neighborhood on my street, we have a flooding inundation issue. This happened in 2022. By surfacing over more of our permeable 
land, um, we're going to be increasing those flooding issues or concerns that do occur. So, you know, what about taking that into account and sort of along the same lines of like, what are the pros, what are the cons, what are sort of, you know, things that can, can be impacted by building additional uh, density around these neighborhoods. Uh, so those are the main things that I would have to say, you know, sort of that I don't feel that it was completely uh, taken into account fully. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, with that, I don't see Alan Meltzer online. So I think that is everyone that has signed up to speak on this one. Um, with that, um, before we dive into questions, I just wanna kind of recap. I know we saw a presentation by Tony Lechugo um, here because this is a, 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 legis a legislatively led rezoning by the council person, we have just the three criteria. And just for members of the public, those are the criteria that we have to govern our decisions by. And those are consistency with adopted plans, uniformity of district regulations and restrictions, and public health, safety, and general welfare. So those are the criteria that we're thinking about as we ask our questions and debate. So um, with that, I will go ahead and open this up to questions uh, by the board for either staff or, or members of the public. Any questions? Angel. Yes. <clears throat> um, first, we to thank everyone for coming out to um, share comments and thoughts. Um, I recognize that change to our communities is sometimes not easy. Um, I do have a question for Councilwoman Sawyer. Um, and I, I appreciate your um, querying community members in, uh, in an ongoing fashion. I am wondering, I know our purview here is pretty narrow um, in terms of criteria that we consider for ADUs. Do you have any criteria um, to consider? Like, I, I know value the input of community members, but are you needing to or desiring to follow any criteria with, you know, this type of legislative uh, rezoning? I guess I'm not sure what you're asking. As a council member, we are also required to follow three very specific criteria when Can we share sure rezoning. So same criteria as yours. So health, safety, and welfare, consistency with adopted plans, and um, uniformity of district regulations are the three criteria that we are required to follow as council members when it comes to um, a legislative rezoning. There are two others that you are also required when it's a single, um, AD, you know, single rezoning of whatever kind. Um, but those are not those are also consistent here. Right. So, right, I mean, even if we had to consider those, this would still be consistent. Um, I feel very strongly that democracy requires dissent. And um, so I have no problem with tough conversations and with people having, um, you know, concerns with this. I think those concerns are totally fair. And I think we should hear those concerns, right? Um, so at the end of the day, as a council office, when we are considering a legislative rezoning, we have to come up with some way of deciding whether we move forward with something like this or not. And for us um, in my office and my staff is here and they can talk about the specifics of, um, you know, why we got so many responses that we ended up throwing out. I will tell you, we had like one person fill out the survey 12 times because <laughs> um, we can see it. And they're always no's, right? The yeses fill it out once and they move on their way. Um, but that's okay. So, uh, so I will say as a council office, we have to have some sort of um, decision point. Right. right. And if we can say that we know that residents um, who will be affected by the rezoning were contacted twice 
postcard and um, and door knock, um, where we also delivered two light bulbs and a, a flyer on community safety and lighting up your alleyways and things like that. Because we know that lighting deters crime. So, anyway, that's an aside. Um, and that we, you know, held community meetings, that we had office hours, that we had social posts, that we had newsletters. Um, you know, we have almost 10,000 residents on our newsletter um, list, and we have an over 50% open rate month over month. So, um, you know, every month, at least 4,500 people are opening our newsletter and reading that information. So we know, um, and we also had press um, coverage of it as well. So we have, as long as I feel, as long as we can say we have done everything we can to ensure um, that people know about it, we're able to ask questions about it, we're able to engage with it, we're able to share their opinion, even if it's a no, um, then I am comfortable looking at the, you know, at the um, information that we received from the survey. You'll also see there's a heat map in there. And in that heat map, you'll see that responses covered um, almost the entire area. You'll see the area of the Ninth and Colorado um, area is not was not covered because we didn't deliver there because that zoning um, is multi-unit zoning already, so they wouldn't be affected by this. Right. Um, but you know, you can see from the heat map that we had good coverage across the entire neighborhood in terms of responses. Um, and so, even within and, and it's a statistically valid survey, and within that that margin of error. Um, you know, we are above 50%, and that is our um, kind of additional criteria on top of the um, the three criteria that we are required to consider as council members when we look at a rezoning to, to determine whether to move forward. So. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I know we've covered here several times that often the comments we get in these public hearings are um, related to things that are not within our purview, and it sounds the same with yours. Uh, that they don't relate to the criteria, yep. um, things like parking and crowding and that sort of thing. So, and I will say um, that you know ADUs in particular are very. It's it's a, a little bit different when having a conversation with the public about it because it's a two step process, right? Because ADUs are not allowed by right at this point. You've got to get the zoning first, and then you've got to go to the plant to the. Um, Planning Services Department and actually go through the site plan process. So um, I think there's a lot of confusion around that because what we are talking about here is the zoning part. It doesn't change anything about the requirements on the back end on the planning services part and the site development part. But that's kind of a, it's just a hard thing. It's city speak, you right. know, and for our everyday residents, like they, they maybe as, as much as we might try, that kind of gets glossed over and that's totally fair, right? That's what we just said it. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Thank you. Other questions? Rachel? I had a question for staff that piggybacks a little bit on what Councilman Sawyer just said. There were some comments um, in the, the comments that were submitted online um, to that point of like, okay, now that we approve it, who's going to control where the buildings go, what the setbacks are, um, all of those things. So could you speak a little bit about um, to folks that are listening, what that process looks like and and who controls that and what the approvals or control mechanisms around those things are? Yeah, so the building form standards are sort of the internal speak for all of those requirements. How tall is your building? Where can it be located on the lot? Uh, what are the setbacks from adjacent properties? Um, and those exist for every zone district and every type of building that someone would want to build. Um, so currently in the Hale neighborhood, 
uh, under the existing zoning. There, there's sort of nothing precluding a property owner from tearing down a house uh, and building something larger than what they have, as long as it meets those building form standards, including building something on the rear 35% of the property. Um, what this would do would apply similar building form standards to ADUs. Um, and those are something that have sort of been longstanding in our zoning code since we allowed ADUs. And we're actually refined this past summer of 2023 through a robust community process to determine, you know, with better refinement, where on the lot should those be? What should those setbacks look like? What should those height restrictions be? Um, there's also a limit on square footage for ADUs. So depending on the size of the lot that a person lives on, um, there's a pretty minimal amount of square footage that an ADU can even occupy. Um, and for most of those lots in this area, um, that's somewhere around 800 square feet. So it's a pretty small size. It's generally the size of a garage, if it's smaller. Um, so in terms of process, as the councilwoman said, this would remove the rezoning requirement that individual properties go through. Um, but any person who still wanted to build an ADU would have to come to the city with architectural plans and say, this is what I would like to build. Those get compared against the uh, established building form standards. So it would have to say it can't be taller than this, can't be more square footage than you know this. Um, and it would have to comply with all of those things. And if it doesn't, it doesn't get approved. Um, there's also some city requirements for, um, in order to get a permit to occupy that ADU, the person who owns the property has to live in the primary structure. So that also requires that you don't have a rental property with a rental ADU in back with an absentee landlord. We're trying to ensure that through our own standards, we're saying the person who lives in that home rents the ADU, um, and that's how they get their occupancy permit. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, um, you know, rules and regulations that help us keep those ADUs in check. And those are things that have been vetted through the public process as well. Rachel, do you mind if I just tag on one follow-up question? Um, there were a couple of members from the public that specifically talked about parkways and historic districts. And I think even just at our last meeting, we had an ADU rezoning in a historic district. So we got the benefit of kind of hearing that additional process, but you share if a, if a property, everything you just described applies, but then also it's in a historic district or on our parkway or historic parkway, what additional process applies? Yeah, this is a great question. And, you know, as I heard the comments coming in publicly, I realized, you know, I included information about that in the staff report, which people could read online, but didn't include in the presentation. And so I can make a change to that when it goes to city council, if it goes to city council. But um, the regulations of parkways, so there's Hale Parkway that runs through the middle of the neighborhood, and there's Sixth Avenue Parkway that runs along the southern border. So those parkways have existing regulations that state um, how far set back from the parkway properties need to be. This changes nothing about those. Um, those properties along historic parkways would still need to meet the requirements of our historic parkway regulations, which are were constructed through our landmark staff, are overseen by our landmark staff. Um, and same for, there are two properties in the neighborhood that are actually historic buildings. And those historic buildings would have to go through the same process um, that they would go through now, which is review by landmark staff, approval by landmark staff, and a very public process. Um, also note, many people talked about those homes along 6th Avenue. You know, in any home uh, that wants to build an ADU, it has to be located on the rear of the property. Nobody could build one on 6th Avenue. Um, and also, if somebody wanted to tear down a home to build something different that included an ADU, 
any home in Denver that's over 30 years old has to go through demolition review through our landmark staff. So if they decided this is a historic home on a historic parkway, that just adds to the other layers of control and regulation that we still have. Uh, Rachel, follow so, on. Yeah, to follow up um, on that. So today, if I own a home in Hale um, and I wanted to build an 800 square foot garage on the rear of my property, I could do that, correct? Under existing zoning, assuming it meets setback requirements and whatnot. Yes. Park my yes, as of right, you could do that. And as of right now, if I owned a home in Hale and wanted to rent out four of my rooms to tenants that are not related to me, I could do that, right? Correct? Uh, there, there's a maximum number. I'm not sure what the number is, but yes, you could rent out rooms to tenants in your home. Yeah. Um, and so what this would do is say, okay, instead of that 800 square foot garage that I could build today, I could build an 800 in that same footprint, build a unit that could have one tenant or in it that I could rent to. So in terms of, I just want to get folks mind around what is possible today versus what is possible under this rezoning are not that different in, in terms of a lot of the concerns we heard from traffic, you could have five unrelated adults today living in um, a home in Hale. Um, in terms of footprint on the property, that those requirements will remain the same for an ADU versus some other sort of structure on your property. Um, all of that is correct. That's correct, yeah. Thank you. Uh, George. I think there's a really quick question for the councilman. Uh, one of the comments, and I apologize if you already covered this, I, I just missed it. One of the comments uh, that we received uh, said that this was rejected six months ago. What is that referring to? Is that the Montclair? Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's probably some confusion from a resident who, uh, the only people who really know about statistical neighborhoods and borders are us, right? Like, you know, our residents don't know and frankly don't care where the edge of a neighborhood is. Um, the edge of this neighborhood is Holly. So uh, yes, this edge of this neighborhood is Holly. So um, wait, let me go back and think about that. Yeah, yeah the edge of this neighborhood is Holly, um, but nobody knows that, right? And so um, people on the east side of Holly actually called our office to say, um, you know, hey, we thought that this was dead. You weren't going to move forward with it. And people on the west side of Holly called and were like, wait a minute, we thought this was dead. And it is dead on the east side of Holly and not on the west side of Holly, with the caveat that the state is coming for our property rights and going to allow you to use across the entire state of Colorado anyway. So, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I had one last question. This is maybe for you, Andrew. Um, I know the councilwoman touched on potential state legislation during this session that could allow ADU statewide. Could you touch on um, kind of the city citywide program that I think is underway as well? Yeah, I can share a little bit about that. Um, at, at this point, we're still working with uh, with several council members who are interested in sponsoring uh, such uh, uh, likely text amendment and rezoning project. It's still kind of in the early stages, so. Uh, applicants are still coming in uh, and requesting individual ADU rezonings at this time, uh, but we, we do expect to have a, a better sense of, of the timeline for that project uh, uh, later this spring. And just to push up, follow up on it. How does the city work with the state? There was a similar proposal last year that died because local, local municipalities opposed kind of a state 
imposing some kind of um, land use regulation? How how is it moving forward? How is the city working with the state? So, the primarily working with the state happens out of the mayor's office, and there are there are legislative staff there that that. Uh, Track what's happening at the state level and how that's going to impact the city. I, I, I don't know. I don't know that I can speak to specifically. I, yeah, I know that CBD doesn't get super involved in that. Um, I can answer it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, that's not exactly true. We have a very complicated. Melissa's laughing. She used to work in a council office. Um, there, uh, we have a very complicated dance that we do between council and the mayor's office um, and our lobbyists that we share um, when it comes to state legislation and city legislation. Um, SB 213 that failed last session failed um, for a lot of different reasons, but mostly because of its sheer size and the amount of things it tried to cover. Right, everyone could find something wrong with it. Um, this year, what state legislators have decided to do is break up the parts of SB 213 into separate bills, um, some of which will be supported and some of which will not be supported. That is a process between council and the mayor's office that um, because there's no language right now, because state session just started, um, you know, once there's language for council members and mayoral staff to take a look at, um, and the experts at CPD, everyone will kind of convene and determine whether we as a city take a position on it, don't take a position on it, take a position on it with amendments, et cetera. Um, so that will really depend on the language. I will say um, that because this is sort of a smaller um, package um, that just deals solely with ADUs, it, it looks like it has significant support from state legislation and it is likely to pass. Um, I will say personally, I have a problem with that um, because I think the state should stay off of um, uh, the purview of the city, which is, uh, you know, which is our land use right. Um, however, I'm standing in front of you with an ADU rezoning, right? So I think we all agree that ADUs are the direction to go. It's For me, it's more of a question of um, who has the right to do it. Um, that said, I think um, the CPD and the council sponsors are working um, whether that amendment, whether we are forced to do this by the state or whether it fails at the state and we do it as a city, it is moving forward either way. So would the state propose some kind of model zoning code that municipalities can or cannot or may may or may not adopt? Or... I cannot possibly speak to what the state might or might not do. <laughs> Sorry, I will take that. But I mean, Melissa. I'm working on it. Yeah, Melissa knows later. All right. Thank uh -huh. you. Thank yeah. you for the lifeline. Yeah, you are welcome. <laughs> it's complicated. And totally off topic. But yes, um, but I will say, um, you know, like I said, whether the state puts forth some sort of legislation that does require all municipalities across the state to do it, or whether they that does not pass, the city of Denver has a plan to do that either way because it's consistent with our adopted plans. It's what um, we've been talking about for five years since Blueprint um, and all of the area plans within uh, that have come under Blueprint that now cover more than 50% of the city or just about 50% of the city. So um, there's that. Thank you. Yeah. Any other questions from the board? With that, we'll go ahead and close the public hearing. So that means no further, comment, further public comments and no questions from the board. Um, and now I'll open for deliberation on the three criteria in the application. Any comments? Goja, Melissa? Um, yes. Quick one. Um, I, I will vote in support. I believe it meets all the criteria. 
um, a little bit of context and background um, and kind of a comment to the speakers and thank you to everybody who came up or spoke tonight. Um, all neighborhoods in Denver are special. We all believe that neighborhood that we live in is special and they're all special for different reasons. But as a city, we agreed um, to be inclusive and diverse. And that means that all neighborhoods have to be inclusive and diverse. So um, that's why ADUs, we agree that ADUs are appropriate in all neighborhoods. And I believe that's how um, the application meets the criteria. Jordan. Yeah, uh, on a similar note, just to acknowledge the speakers who have come here in person or online, uh, we do have, I, I am in support of this because we do have planned guidance that supports it, not only in the, this neighborhood, but citywide. And so we have a similar question in front of us every time we get a ADU rezoning and we have a similar response, which is unless it's something really unique, there is planned guidance that generally uh, gives us the, the information we need to pass along city council with our approval. But one thing uh, I think that might, you know, frustrate people who come speak to here, uh, whether they're on the side for or against it, is a feeling of democracy, I guess, that the more people who come and tell us that they're against it, the more likely we are to vote against it. And while I appreciate if anyone feels that way, I get why that would be frustrating if that's not the way it goes. I just think it's important to note that we, that is not one of the criteria that we judge a rezoning or anything else on. Uh, it is something we take seriously. We do want to hear from the community. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it's for those of you who are here or online have seen the criteria that we have to judge us against, and it meets those criteria. So I uh, appreciate coming out, and we don't want anyone to stop coming out to these hearings to, to tell us what they think, but ultimately, uh, it's not a numbers game for us. I think that's important to say. Any other comments, Rachel? Um, I uh, just wanted to comment that I do appreciate this being done as a legislative rezoning as opposed to the one-off rezonings. I think there's a lot of inequity when we're having one-off property owners bring forward ADU rezonings. And um, this is better than that and, and better than a legislative rezoning would be a citywide um, text amendment. So I'm just going to throw throw that out there because I do think these rezonings pit neighbors against neighbors in a way that's um, not great for our elected officials, not great for our planning staff, um, not great for neighbors. And so that's just a comment. So, um, so yeah, I appreciate all the public comments. I think it was a great conversation. Um, and I'll, I'll just back to the fact that there's so much time and energy that's put into developing all of the plans, citywide plans and neighborhood plans, and there's a lot of feedback that's given during that time. And that, you know, the public comment that we receive now isn't necessarily to challenge what's already in the plan, but to identify how the rezoning does or does not meet the rezoning criteria. And I didn't really hear any public comments that were saying that it did not meet the rezoning criteria. I think there's comments about whether they want it or don't want it. Um, but I, again, we're tasked with going back to the criteria, but uh, I really want to see the rezoning process continue to evolve because I think there is sometimes some confusion around community engagement and how the feedback's used or not used in this process. So again, I think to Jordan's point, there's some people that maybe feel like there should be 75% support, but that's not necessarily how we base our vote. Um, and that I think that 
engagement went above and beyond. You know, no survey even needed to be done. Um, it's only recommended. And so I think there was a lot of engagement to get feedback. But again, um, I'd appreciate a feedback tied it back to the rezoning criteria because that would help us a little bit more in how we make our decision as well. But anyways, I do feel like it meets the rezoning review criteria. Thank you. Oh, I'll say. Um, yeah, thank you. I, I agree. I mean, I'll start and say there's three criteria here that I feel like it clearly fits the, the plan and the um, conformity of use is pretty easy. Um, health, safety, and welfare. Like, I'm trying not to fully repeat myself from our last meeting, and it's very hard because it's a very similar conversation. This is literally the gentlest density you could possibly have. It is the lowest barrier change to a neighborhood to try and create more housing opportunities and is specifically tailored for the housing options that the people that already live there want. So it is like the easiest way to create a little bit more housing, which I feel like is clearly in the interest of health, safety, and welfare, but just want to repeat that this is, this is truly like the smallest amount of change you can have in a moment where we really need to change this and where aging in place and displacement is an issue across the city and across the whole state. So um, appreciate that people take the time to come down and make public comment and also have to acknowledge similarly to last week, while maybe it was not as egregious, these continued themes of where is appropriate or not appropriate for density, um, comments like rental property concerns as if renters are fundamentally different than property owners. Um, and, you know, that is concerning um, that we're still having this conversation and I just can't let that go without at least remarking on it a little bit. Um, there is, I think one of the notes I have is that uh, relationships with neighbors will change. I There is no reason that having a few more neighbors who might rent is going to change your relationships with your neighbors in your neighborhood. So I feel like it meets the criteria and also just want to comment on the fact that we're still having this conversation um, about who deserves to live where. Um, and that is definitely not one of the things that we base the decision on. Any other deliberation on Joe? Just real quick. Um, I really appreciated the um, woman who talked about moving her parents, um, aging parents. And I think that is definitely a, a, a good use for ADUs. I think, you know, the way that people will use them is in congruence with their values. So if you value your neighbors, you value their judgment. Um, and I, I think the fear is around just the unknown and a shift. But with more population, there's a need for more housing. And uh, as Melissa said, this is general density. It fits the criteria of definitely supporting it. But I think um, we will hopefully soon get to a point where we don't have these one-off sort of conversations. But I'm glad that we, in this opportunity here, this, this is a legislative um, so it's not a one-off, um, but it's a, a community, one one small section of a community. And uh, I think having the conversations hopefully has helped people um, abate some of the fears. I don't know, but um, this is in congruence with the plant guidance. And, and so our, our criteria, I think, says it all. It meets that criteria. So 
again, voting for it. But I think we, a lot of us may be in a position with elderly parents or returning, you know, adult children where these are going to be positives to have around the city, um, um, whether it's for the owner that built it or somebody looking for a home that at some point needs to place a family member. Um, so I'm glad to see them happening. Any other questions? I'm just kidding. Go ahead in the club. <laughs> you go ahead. I already had a turn. Um, to piggyback off of Jill, I was one of the items that I was mentioning was, or at least for now, was multi-generational housing. And like Melissa said, this is probably the gentlest way into that kind of um, territory. Um, and also for residents um, for Six Avenue Parkway, um, Happening in the historic district is not the prevention of you know different forms of housing in there. Uh, it still has to go through all the rivers of a historic district, um, form factors, materials, and everything uh, else that goes in there. Um, and losing the character, um, that was one item that was mentioned. Um, the character is still going to be held by those standards. So, Gosha. Um, yeah, I just want to layer on this because there's a theme of comments that relate to transportation. And I know this is not our preview, but I um, just want to add um, a thought that um, with this emergency of housing um, supply, and we, we try to increase the supply of housing ADUs as one way to do it. And we hear concerns about traffic and parking. And um, I think we really need to be more intentional about implementing our transit plan because transportation now is a barrier to creating more housing. And we're not going to alleviate these problems unless we provide practical options for people. And the comments that people bring up are uh, reasonable. I mean, uh, we are still a very um, car-dependent city. Um, and again, we're not going to solve our housing problem unless we provide options for transport transportation. So this is a side note. Be on record with that. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Um, I'll just add in um, speaking to the three criteria, um, looking at consistency with adopted plans. While we have Blueprint with its recommendations on ADUs, I think here we even have stronger guidance in the you know, robust community process that happened in 2019 and 2020 with the East Area Plan. And for me, the and, and it was called out in the staff report, I mean, there is a specific direction for hail land use to um, proceed with ADUs. And so that was very clear plan support in my mind. Um, and also thank you to the councilwoman for taking and her team for taking the time and effort to bring this forward. Um, I know it takes a lot of outreach and interaction um, and knowing those things might be coming, it might be easy to kind of just wait, but I think reacting to the, what the plans recommend and what um, your constituents are calling for. So thank you for um, your leadership on it. And with that, I'll be voting in support. Um, I will go ahead and do a roll call vote. Uh, Sarah. Oh, I need a motion. Thank you. <laughs> um, I move to recommend that City Council approve application 2023I0009 through multiple properties in Hale neighborhood with ESUDX, ESUG, and USUC to ESUD1X, ESUG1, and USUC1, finding that the applicable review criteria have been accepted. Thank you. Now I'll do a call vote. There. Aye. Jordan. Aye. Rachel. Aye. Bob. Aye. Michelle. Aye. Melissa. Aye. Gosha. My vote aye as well. 
um, that MAP amendment has uh, been recommended on for approval. Uh, we will go ahead and uh, move to the next item on the agenda. And this is um, one where there is no staff presentation. It's been waived, but we will um, hear from many public speakers that have signed up. So this is official MAP amendment application 2023-I-00123, rezoning 110 Yates from E-S-U-D-X to E-S-U-D-1-X. Um, with that, I don't see anyone signed up online. Is there anyone here in person to speak to that one? What's that, I live? Uh, Yates. Okay. Um, okay, so with that, I will go ahead and close the public, or I guess, are there questions from planning board? And with that, I will go to close the hearing. Is there any more deliberation? <clears throat> Uh, if not, I'll take a motion. I move to recommend the City Council approve application 2023-I-00123 rezoning for Lennon 68 from ESUDX to ESUD1X, finding that the applicable review criteria have been met. Seconded. Right. Roll call, sir. Aye. Jordan. Aye. Rachel. Aye. Claude. Aye. Angel. Melissa. Aye. Koja. Aye. And I vote aye as well. Aye. Oh, oh, Fred, thank you. Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> that has been recommended on for approval. Um, I will now uh, open the public hearing for official map amendment application 2023-I-00152, rezoning 1410 South Humboldt Street from USUC to USUC1. Again, this is one where we have waived the staff presentation, but the hearing is open if there is anyone from the public here to speak. Again, this is for Humboldt. Um, don't see anyone registered online or in person. Um, so we'll go ahead and close the public I have questions for the board. Nope. Close the public hearing. Uh, I will open board deliberation or take a motion. I move to recommend that city council approve application 2023-I-00152 rezoning 1410 South Humboldt Street from USUC to USUC1, finding that the applicable review criteria have been met. Second. I have a motion and a second. I'll roll call vote. Sarah? Aye. Jordan? Aye. Rachel? Aye. Claude? Aye. Angel? Aye. Melissa? Aye. Koja? Aye. And I vote aye as well. Aye. Thank you, friend. Thank you. That is now been recommended on for approval. The next item is official map amendment. Um, I'll open the public hearing for official map amendment application 2023-I. 00127 rezoning 548 South Perry Street from E to UC to EMX3. Um, again, this is one where we have waived the staff presentation. Um, let the record reflect that Goja Kung has recused herself and has left our um, table for this uh, public hearing. Um, with that, I will go ahead and see if there's any members uh, uh, from the public uh, here to testify on this one. No one online, anyone here in the room? All right, uh, any questions from the board? Uh, with that, I'll go ahead, um, board deliberation, or I'll close the public hearing. Is there any board deliberation or I'll make a motion? No deliberation. Uh, I move to recommend that city council application 2023I00127 rezoning 548 South Perry Street from ETUC to EMX3 finding that the applicable review criteria have been met. Okay. Yeah, I have a motion and a second from Sarah. Uh, roll call vote, Sarah? Aye. Jordan? Aye. Rachel? Aye. Claude? Aye. Angel? Aye. Melissa? Aye. Fred? Aye. 
I thought I as well. Then one correction, the second was from Jordan, I thought. I think they kind of said it the same. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you, that has been recommended on for approval. Uh, the next item will open the public hearing for official map amendment application 2023I 00132, rezoning 3446 South Patton Way from SSUF to SSUF1. Again, this is one where we have waived the staff presentation. Um, but uh, if there is any member of the public uh, here to testify on this one, we are open to hearing. Again, this is Patton Way. I don't see anyone online. Is there anyone here in person for Patton Way? All right, with that, uh, questions from the board. Okay, so we'll go ahead and close the public hearing and I'll open it up for board deliberation or a motion. No, no deliberation. I move to recommend the city council approve application 2023I-00132, rezoning 3446 South Patton Way from SSUF to SSUF1, finding that the applicant has been met. Second. Thank you. We have a motion and a second. And I'll roll call vote. Sarah? Aye. Jordan? Aye. Rachel? Aye. Vlad? Aye. Angel? Aye. Melissa? Aye. Stoja? Aye. Fred? Aye. I vote aye as well. Um, that item has been recommended on for approval. Sorry, give me one second. Getting the wrong um, The next item is official map amendment application 2022I00253, rezoning 1409 to 1471 North Julian and 3317 West 14th Avenue from GRH3 to GMU5. Um, we have been notified by staff that there was a staff um, error in the noticing um, and publication of this one. So unfortunately, this one's going to have to be postponed um, to the February 21st, 21st meeting. Um, and so if we could have a motion from the board in a second, and we'll vote to move that to um, a date certain of February 21st and um, appreciate the applicant understanding on needing to properly notice and um, push that one forward. I move to postpone official map amendment application 2022I00253, rezoning 1409 through 1471, North Julian, and 33, 17 West 14th Avenue from GRH3 to GMU5 with the planning board meeting uh, we'll call vote, Sarah. Aye. Jordan. Aye. Rachel. Aye. Claude. Aye. Angel. Aye. Melissa. Aye. Doja. Aye. And I vote aye as well. Um, if you were here to testify on that one, um, go ahead and come back on February 21st. We're going to move on to our next agenda item, um, and that is official map amendment application 2023I00142, rezoning 4675 East Islip Avenue from ESUDX to ESUB1. Um, as a reminder, I'll open the public hearing for this. This is one where we did waive the staff presentation, but if there are any public speakers, those will be allowed uh, to testify. I think I do have um, at least one in the room and let's see if we've got anybody online real quickly. All right, we got right. both, we got two. Two in the room, great. Two online. Two, in, two online and at least one in the room, okay. Um, so, because we waived the staff presentation, we can just start with our, our public testimony. Um, why don't we 
start with who is in the room. Sorry, my phone is moving. Oh, sure. Okay. Um, Stephen Arnold is registered online. Stephen Arnold, um, go ahead and state your name and address uh, for the record, and you have three minutes. Thank you. Uh, Steve Arnold. Uh, I am the RNO treasurer in University Hills North. Uh, lived here about 30 years. Uh, been on the RNO board. I think it's going on 15 years, maybe it's 10, lose track over time. Uh, we sent out a, uh, a little survey that uh, Paul will talk about, uh, the, the president. Uh, what I wanted to bring up is the planning board knows uh, we've had huge growth in this neighborhood. We've got the new Southeast area plan approved, legislative rezoning approved in the neighborhood. So what folks are concerned about in this neighborhood is any more increase in density and losing single family lots. Um, so it doesn't look like the zoning changes much for this. Uh, it should allow a couple single family homes, but the concern is, is losing more space in the neighborhood uh, from the responses we've received, losing some green space, adding more density. And if they are allowed to put an ADUs on this property, then, then there's the possibility of turning a relatively small lot into a single family lot into uh, four homes. Um, on the plus side, uh, we in the neighborhood are looking for uh, homes that people can purchase rather than rent. So a couple of homes on this property would be wonderful. Um, the downside is, is that uh, uh, increasing density, uh, if they do something on the piece of property that doesn't meld with the neighborhood, this property is directly north of Denver Academy. And, uh, you know, it's got its historic landmark with the uh, chapel there and whatnot. And uh, Denver Academy put in for uh, their own rezoning to uh, keep everything down to three stories. So those are the issues with the neighborhood. Uh, we as the board did not uh, make a stance one way or the other, but uh, we wanted to make sure that we were heard here. And I do appreciate it. And I thank the board. Thank you, Mr. Arnold. I really appreciate that last comment. I was going to ask you that question, so thank you. Um, the next person signed up online is Paul Leon. Um, Mr. Leon, go ahead and unmute. And uh... Hello, my name is Paul Leon. I'm the president of the University Hills North community. I live at Iliff and Ash in the Observatory Heights um, uh, townhome development. That is the largest multifamily development in the community, and it's likely to remain that for quite some time. I'll take like 10 seconds to go over quickly about what University Hills North community is about. Um, we don't have the luxury of maintaining the character of the neighborhood. Our zoning is very mixed. We have post-World War II houses sitting on um, three-story zoned lots that are scraped off and, and built with three-story townhouses. It goes to the leveraged population growth that this neighborhood has seen in the last 20 years. Um, at the risk of sounding classist, you know, we're not like a designated rich person zone, like we kind of heard on the Hale proposal. 
Um, right now, our neighborhood is kind of a canvas for uh, developers in the city to paint a picture of what they think that the neighborhood of the future in Denver should look like. And some people are okay with that, and some people are not okay with that. Um, we literally have, you know, one and a quarter million dollar houses going up across the street from where there's current proposals to build 300 affordable housing units. It's a very mixed neighborhood with transportation that 30 years ago was a car neighborhood. Um, the, uh, the Rhino's official response of the University Hills North community is we're going to abstain from taking a position on this. We sent out 170 uh, emailed out to about 175 community members. Got about 12 responses. About eight of those were against. About two or three of them were for. We had a, a in-person meeting last night. There was a couple of more people who were mostly opposed. There was not very many people in favor. Um, the opposition comments were generally around they don't want density of people. There was a couple about just the density of the structures that they're likely to build newer houses that are not in the character of the big houses that are around. Um, people for it were just like, this is probably what the neighborhood needs and it's better than what we've proposed that we've had before. We have one question for the question period that I'll throw out now is, are there actually going to be ADUs or is that just part of the zoning? Um, it's not a great area for ADUs because there's no alleys. I would say I personally own a place up in Westminster. It's a, it, it looks just like the picture of the houses with ADUs that you see in the, as the samples. It's smack dab in the middle of suburbia. It's not in the character of anything around it. It's like Central Park and it works out great. Thank you all for the consideration. Great, thank you. I think that's everything we have on, um, online. So in person, um, are you Jody Davidson? Yeah, great, go ahead and come on up and give us your name and address. Hi, my name is Jody Davison. I'm gonna stand to the side of the podium so you can see me. My address is 2257 South Dexter Street. So this is like two houses uh, right next to us. Um, I am not in opposition. I'm also on the board for U Hills North. Uh, I actually came because I was expecting there to be a presentation. Um, the, my ask is more specific to the mobility and the accessibility of our neighborhood. We're seeing our 1,300 square foot houses be bulldozed down and replaced with uh, 350 unit apartment complexes. So we're facing a different density change than other communities. I, I welcome it. I, I live in an urban area. I don't feel entitled to uh, park my car on the street right in front of my house, for example. But we still have those 20 inch sidewalks that require us to walk single file. We are two transit stations. We're transit wealthy between the Colorado Boulevard light rail station and the Yale light rail station. We have a great grocery store. However, none of these things are very accessible to me pushing my baby in a stroller to me walking my dog, to my kid who wants to ride her bike to school and needs to do things like cross Colorado Boulevard or cross Evans Avenue. And so for me in particular, what I'm looking for in my very own backyard um, is a livable community. So hopefully what we can see before this goes to vote is what these developers have in mind. 
We are not a NIMBY community. We voted for the House 1000 and all of the homelessness to come to our neighborhood. We've signed good neighborhood agreements with large scale developers and we welcome this. What we want is smart development. So if somebody can share with us what, what the expectation is with this lot, we would love to just know more about it before we can go to a vote. Um, and I hope that it's done with uh, great diligence and mindfulness towards our community remaining a healthy place to be and play and live and bike. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else here to speak to this one? Okay, um, I, I, I'll move on to questions, but um, because there was a question from one of the speakers, uh, two of the speakers really about the project. And, um, is anyone here on behalf of the applicant? You are. Um, would you mind coming up and speaking? I think that there was one question on um, the Zoom on uh, the intent to build an ADU and kind of similarly, um, I think from the last speaker kind of to talk about the project just, um, and then I, uh, as you're coming up, just um, thank you so much for asking about the presentation. And I expect that um, the staff person for it, who's Tony, who didn't get to present, um, can share his presentation with you if you guys wanna connect. And he will be doing the full presentation before city council as well. He doesn't necessarily speak to the project, but it will speak to kind of walks through the staff report. So thanks for that feedback because we're still we're trying to decide kind of when we waive them and when we don't. So thank thanks for raising it. Can I make yeah, one more comment? Yeah. Denver Academy is a lovely private school that's also right there. It does not feature a school bus. It is a wealthy school, and so community members that live there can't necessarily afford to send their kids there. And so what happens twice a day, every day in that community is that each individual student tends to be escorted to and then from individually in an SUV whose engine idles on our street a lot. So we're dealing with um, welcoming a lot of that. So thank you. Please keep that in mind. <laughs> Um, sorry to delay you, but go ahead and come on up and just tell us a little bit about the project so that um, the speakers can hear. Hello, thank you. My name is Hamide Tamadi. Actually, I'm the owner of this land. And uh, this um, this land basically is like a larger land. It's about 1,100 uh, square, I mean, 10,100 square feet. And it's um, looking at the um, neighborhood and how the neighborhood is changing. It's not really affordable to build like a 4,000 square feet home in this uh, plan. So basically this is not rezoning. You're not asking for multifamily um, zoning. This is basically modifying the zoning to be able to have two single families. Still it's going to be single families. So we are not planning to have any like ADU on this um, property. There's other questions I would be happy. Any other questions for the board of the applicant? Jeff? Um, so two single family homes, but they would be eligible to have ADUs. Didn't we rezone uh, this district in University Hills for ADUs? We, uh, not today, of course, but no. okay. Thank you for that clarification. But this requested zone district would allow for ADUs. Okay. Well, so potentially four properties or, or two homes with ADUs potentially. Okay. But, but we are not your, really your plan right now is not to include not just, have just for clarity. Got it. But they could. Basically, yeah. this is one is going to be for me to resign. Got it. Thank you. 
Will there be a change in the oh, height? I'm sorry. Oh, oh, maybe you guys can chat after. Of uh, course, yes. No, thank you. Uh, okay, any other questions for the board, from the board for applicant, members of the public, or staff? Uh, all right, thank you so much. Thank um, you. With that, we'll go ahead and close the public hearing and open for board deliberation. Anybody? I've got one left. Um, so uh, in looking at the criteria, I just wanted to particularly note consistency um, with the plans. Uh, I think one of the speakers touched on it. Um, we have such a recent uh, public process that happened with the near Southeast area plan. And I know we spent time as a board talking about it and considering it and some of the, and then the legislative rezoning that followed it. And for me, the, I, it's called out on page 14 of the staff report was really key to kind of providing the guidance for this that specifically says to allow uh, lot splits and ADUs on lots over 10,000 uh, 10, and which this one is. And so it just really seemed to fit in, it seemed kind of spot on with what the neighborhood had said during the planning process to allow for kind of that soft density we've talked about. Um, so I'll be voting in support. Any other deliberation? Um, with that, I'll take a motion. I move to recommend that city council application 2023I 00142 rezoning 4675 East Island Avenue from ESUDX to ESUP1, finding that the applicable review criteria have been met. So I have a motion and a second, and I'll roll call. Sarah? Aye. Jordan? Aye. Rachel? Aye. Claude? Angel? Aye. Melissa? Aye. Goja? Aye. Fred? Aye. I vote aye as well. That's been recommended out on for approval. Um, thank you all so much for coming. Um, with that, uh, we will go ahead and move on to our information items. Um, we have a presentation on the advancing equity and rezoning project, particularly the rezoning criteria. And I think, wait, is Brandon here in person? Oh, there I'm you here. are. Oh, I missed you. Okay. Brandon's here in person, and I think Rob is online to participate in the presentation. So we'll let you guys pass it back and forth. Oh, this sounds great. Thank you. Ah, sorry. There's a lot of I'm Brandon Shaver, Senior City Planner and Project Manager for Advancing Equity and Rezoning, and I'll be joined later by my colleague, Rob Haig. So today's info item is meant for everyone to build a solid understanding of the rezoning review criteria. This is in preparation for next week's joint session of Planning Board and City Council, which will focus on, pro on proposed changes by the team. I'll quickly run through our project background and then briefly remind everyone of the four key strategies we're working for ideas to develop. Um, and then gonna have Rob dive into the background and history of our current review criteria, and we'll have plenty of time uh, at the end for questions and want to really make sure that planning board members leave with a really good understanding of the review criteria in advance of next week's meeting. 
Uh, background information you'll see today is going to be presented to City Council at the budget and policy meeting next Monday. So everyone is working from a similar knowledge base and shows up on Wednesday ready to absorb and discuss staff's evaluation of the review criteria and our proposed changes. So been a few months since we've been here. So just to remind everyone, uh, the Advancing Equity and Rezoning Project comes from Blueprint Denver, which directs the city to adjust the applicant-driven rezoning process, ensuring there are some predictability and outcomes and increased access and awareness, especially for underrepresented communities. This project has been ongoing for quite some time, uh, since late 2021 to be exact, uh, when the project kicked off. And as you can see here, uh, we are in the identified preferred approach phase um, and anticipating an adoption of a text amendment to the zoning code later this summer. This project continues to benefit from the insights of a very diverse task force with representation from the development community, impacted residents, city council, and planning board chairs, both past and present. Uh, their unique experiences with the rezoning process and their varying equity lenses will ensure this project implements thoughtful strategies to address all of our identified issues. So quick reminder on those four strategies. In our last meeting with you all, we shared proposed approaches for tailoring process requirements and creating accessible and clear opportunities for public engagement, both of which I'll highlight in the next, highlight in the next few slides. We're also uh, making progress internally on this third strategy, ensuring commitments to equitable outcomes, and hope to come back to this group with those ideas at a future meeting. So as a reminder, uh, this team is proposing four rezoning categories, each with their own process, in an effort to make the easy rezonings easier and faster to allow staff to focus more time and energy on impactful rezonings that will benefit from enhanced engagement. We received a lot of feedback uh, from the task force, city council, and this board on this approach, and we'll be incorporating that into our public review draft, which we anticipate to release later this year. A uh, point I'd like to stress here, uh, which relates to these review, review criteria discussions, is CPD's shift towards more proactive rezonings closely coordinated with the adoption of new plans. This will help harness the engagement conducted during the planning process to more effectively move into the implementation phase and match zoning on the ground to our plans visions. This shift will also likely result in fewer applicant-driven rezonings that come before you. We also propose a number of improvements across each of the rezoning types, including sending mailed notice to renters and business tenants, not just property owners, posting signs on properties when an application is submitted, and an expanded noticing radius and engagement requirements for rezonings with equity concerns. These improvements are essential to reaching more community members earlier in the process, and they were well received by planning board. So now that we're all up to speed on how this project continues to progress, we're excited to share uh, the background and history of our current review criteria. And with that, I'll let Rob take it away. Thanks, Brandon. And as soon as um, uh, you release the screen, I can share, there we go. Perfect. Okay, so just confirm uh, you all can see my screen okay? Yeah, thanks, Rob. Awesome, thank you. And thanks for accommodating me, um, attending virtually. Um, had some frozen pipes, which I think there's some other planning board members or planning board member that had the same situation. So I'm accommodating um, some, uh, some other folks in the house today. 
Um, but anyway, um, uh, my name is Robert Haig. I'm a uh, senior city planner with Community Planning Development. And um, I'm going to uh, take away from, from Brandon's point, and we'll take a quick minute to uh, review these review criteria. Um, now, I know that you're all very familiar with these criteria. Um, and as Brandon said, you know, large, uh, our, our intent here is to kind of run through these, uh, go over this, um, this overview so that we'll be on the same page as uh, city council when we enter or begin the meeting uh, next, uh, next week. All right, so um, as Brandon also introduced, um, I'll be giving an overview of the, uh, the current review criteria, but first we'll take a look at some of the background of these criteria. Um, uh, first, um, uh, as an overview of what the, the rezoning review criteria are, uh, these are the five criteria that are found in Article 12 of the Denver Zoning Code. Uh, they are used by staff, planning board, and city council all to evaluate rezoning requests. Um, all of the applicable, applicable criteria must be met for staff and planning board to recommend approval. That means that even if there is uh, just a single criterion uh, that can't be met, um, that is reason for, uh, for denying an application. And uh, finally, city council uh, makes their final decision to approve or deny uh, any rezoning request uh, based on these review criteria. Um, so now a quick history. Um, the uh, 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 Denver Zoning Code was adopted in 2010, um, and when that happened, uh, the rezoning criteria were overhauled um, and are, are largely unrecognizable um, if you were to look back in, in former Chapter 59. So um, there were some elements that were carried forward from former Chapter 59, but, but um, you know, they, they were largely transformed into what we have today. Um, uh, for the next seven years, those rezoning criteria remained unchanged. Um, and then at that point, uh, uh, CPD, uh, um, planning board, and, and ultimately council uh, approved a uh, text amendment to remove some of the minimum rezoning area requirements. Um, uh, these were minimum area requirements for certain zone districts, um, and there were some uh, unintended consequences that came along with uh, uh, along with these minimum rezoning area requirements. Uh, for example. Um, there were some mixed-use zone districts that, that required a certain acreage, um, and what that resulted in is a developer uh, having to reach out to uh, surrounding property owners to have them uh, sign on to their uh, rezoning request, um, and ultimately resulted in, in areas of the city um, uh, in neighborhoods that were being rezoned kind of beyond what was needed for, the, um, uh, for that uh, potential, uh, potential development. It made it more difficult for um, uh, developers to, to rezone their properties in order to implement the plans if their proposals were in line with plan goals, um, uh, but also, again, kind of uh, uh, carried forward that larger than necessary uh, rezoning area. Um, and then finally, in, in 2018, the most recent uh, uh, text amendment that amended the rezoning criteria added two uh, additional uh, justifying circumstances. Uh, these were that uh, uh, a justifying circumstance could be a city adopted plan um, or if the property retained former chapter 59 zoning. Uh, we'll take a closer look at these criteria um, in, a, in a few slides, but um, uh, this was an important, uh, important change in kind of how plans were implemented um, and how they could meet this justifying circumstances criterion. 
so the last part of the background we'll take a look at is the uh, issue identification report. So in September of 2022, um, an issue identification report was created uh, as part of this project with input from the task force, stakeholders, and community members. Um, and one of the key issues identified uh, with the rezoning criteria <laughs> is that they were unclear or vague or ambiguous. Um, this first discussion um, and the discussion that will follow at, at the joint um, planning board city council session uh, will focus on changes to the rezoning criteria that address this issue. Uh, so here are the five criteria, uh, again, that we're all very familiar with. Um, uh, we'll take a look at each one of these individually. Um, uh, but in an overview, the first three, the consistency with adopted plans, uniformity with district regulations, and public health, safety, and general welfare um, are all applicable to all rezoning requests. Uh, the next two criteria uh, being justifying circumstances and consistency with neighborhood context, context zone district purpose, and intent statements uh, only apply to applicant-driven or non-legislative rezonings. So we'll take a look at each one of these um, over the next couple slides. Um, so the first, uh, first criterion is the consistency with adopted plans. Um, as you know, this requires uh, rezonings to be consistent with the city's adopted plans uh, so that those rezonings would implement the plans. Um, there's also a, a second provision I think that's that's commonly overlooked, um, at least by uh, at least by the public, um, uh, in this uh, in this criterion, that includes a provision that would allow for rezoning um, that is not consistent with plan guidance, um, if it is for uh, uh, to for land uh, for a community need not anticipated at the time of the plan adoption. The next criterion is the uniformity of district regulations. Um, this essentially requires that uh, the resulting zone district has the same regulations of other zone districts in the city that bear the same numbers or letters. For example, in a UMS2 zone district would be the same as any other UMS2 zone district in its regulations, building forms that would be allowed, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, the last review criteria of those that apply to all rezoning uh, requests is the public health, safety, and general welfare criteria. Um, uh, this criterion generally restates the language uh, that is used to provide cities um, uh, with the legal authority to enact zoning. Um, and uh, again, reiterates that, that legal authority. Um, So moving on, looking at the uh, justifying circumstances criteria, um, this is the first criteria that applies only to uh, uh, applicant-driven rezoning requests. Um, every rezoning request, uh, uh, applicant-driven um, rezoning request is required to find at least uh, one of the following circumstances uh, in order to justify that rezoning. First of which is that the rezoning uh, or that the existing zoning uh, was a result of an error um, or that the existing zoning was uh, based on a mistake of fact. Uh, third justifying circumstances that there's extraordinary land characteristics. These could be things such as steep slopes or floodplains uh, maybe were not considered when the property was initially uh, uh, established uh, with its zoning. And then the fourth uh, potential justifying circumstance is probably the one we see or is definitely the one we see most frequently um, in that there has been a change to such an extent. Um, and there are uh, 
a few different options um, for what that change may be. Um, first is that the, there are change, changing conditions in the particular area or the city in general. This one is, is uh, fairly broad. However, uh, staff, when we, when we look at these uh, rezoning applications, we typically consider something like a new transit station or uh, some other significant infrastructure improvement um, uh, maybe wasn't considered in the plan guidance uh, to, to meet that uh, justifying circumstance. Uh, the next one uh, is, is the subject of that text amendment that, um, that we talked about previously. Um, it's that a city adopted plan could be a justifying circumstance. Um, the, this was added really to enable uh, rezonings to kind of more effectively implement the, the plan guidance. And so that we don't have a situation uh, where we're depending on change or changing conditions in the area or in the city in general in order to justify a rezoning request. Um, uh, and there's the kind of chicken or egg um, uh, uh, debate that happens. Has there been enough change? What does the change, you know, uh, is it significant enough to justify the zoning, so on and so forth? So this really says that if there is adopted plan guidance beyond what the entitlement currently is or the, the zone district currently is, that, that that would justify the rezoning request. Uh, and then finally, if the uh, subject property retains former Chapter 59 zoning, um, uh, that's a justifying circumstance. Bringing it into the Denver Zoning Code has has many advantages that we're that we're all well aware of. Um, and then finally, the last justifying circumstance is that the the rezoning applies an overlay district, um, and would be um, uh, consistent with the the goals and uh, I think Article Nine of the um, of the code that that describes those districts. Uh, so the final rezoning review criteria is the consistency with neighborhood context description, zone district purpose, and intent statements. Um, uh, this really ties the rezoning request back to these statements that are in the Denver Zoning Code. Um, talks about where these zone districts should be located. Um, uh, you know what 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 types of streets they're served by to. Um, uh, uh, you know what types of uses they have block formation things like that. Uh, so again, that is a quick summary of the rezoning criteria that you are all very, very familiar with. Um, but again, we wanted to give that um, uh, just so that that uh, that you have that background, but also so that you're all well aware of what we're talking to council about leading up to the joint meeting uh, next week. Um, so now we'll take some time, time for some questions, um, uh, comments, uh, and look at the upcoming meeting schedule. Um, Brandon, if you don't have anything else, I think we can, we can. Uh... I, I would just on your slide there, sorry. Um, yes. Questions about the current criteria. I think it's worth next week for the benefit of everybody in the room for us to talk about the um, health, safety, and general wel welfare criteria, because I think there's history to that. And it's, it's, I believe, based in, you know, there's some legal basis for that. So just it'd be nice for us to all understand a little bit more about why that criteria exists, where it comes from. And I, I think from past conversations that uh, our city attorney's office folks are, are kind of prepared to speak to that, if that would be uh, something we could do, or even if that was information that could be circulated ahead of time might be useful. 
Yeah, thanks, Fred. That, that's a that's a great comment. And that, that maybe tease up. I'll I'll give kind of a brief summary of what maybe what we will be talking about during that during that meeting. Um, so at the the um, uh, January twenty fourth meeting, um, again, Planning Board and City Council will be there to to focus and just have have a focused discussion on um, the kind of first set of uh, of proposals um, that CPD is putting forward. Um, uh, those uh, proposals um, are related to these first three criteria that are apl applicable to all uh, zone map amendments, all rezonings, uh, as well as the consistency with neighborhood context, zone district purpose, and intent statements. So we will be talking in depth about public health, safety, and general welfare. And um, I suspect uh, we, we had our first uh, meeting with uh, um, our um, task force working group uh, yesterday, and uh, you know, the majority of the discussion was about um, that criterion as well, and kind of what, what staff's proposing for that. So um, uh, yeah, I look forward to, to having that discussion as well. So um, so Robin, Brandon, just to clarify, <clears throat> this presentation grounds us in what the criteria are, and I think I know the answer to this, I just wanna make sure. So at the joint session, you all plan to come forward with the proposals. I think that I, I've sort of seen some of the slides because you are doing that with the task force. You'll be doing that similar work with planning board and city council around what the proposals are on those first three and the last one. And then at a separate session after that, we'll be talking about justifying circumstances and equity. Is that kind of the timeline you guys have laid out? Yes, that is exactly the sequence that we're working in. And I would say that the joint session meeting is to first evaluate the criteria and then we're going to have our proposals for how we'd like to make revisions to them so it's kind of two parts there but yes you got everything else correct um yeah i i have a question about adopted plans consistency with adopted plans so generally we look at um the uh the 2040 comprehensive plan blueprint npi and I still am not clear on where precedence lies or what takes priority precedence. Um, it's NPIs are specific to what communities want. Some communities want stuff, other communities don't want vice versa. How do you get to equity when it can be subjective or community by community? How do you have equity across a whole city when some communities could say we like this we don't like that that's a great question i'd say you know even just having equity in our newer plans where it's absent in our previous plans um, kind of makes us realize sometimes a little bit more on blueprint where it's less specific but i do just want to remind everybody that we are still working through that internally and that we are planning to have a second discussion with you all that is focused on how we incorporate equity and what that might look like for um, consistency with adopted plans and kind of taking all the plans, um, looking at them together, and maybe on balance, there's a way to achieve equity there. But saving that for a future discussion. Okay. Um, so just dovetail on that, I, I thought you were maybe talking, I, I always struggle with the really old plans. And I don't know if there may be some value <clears throat> in just kind of clearer rules around how you all handle those and really old plan guidance that we all kind of don't really think is consistent with right. what, what we see, but is more specific than blueprint, right? I mean, it's always clearer if you have a recent NPI, great, and it's more specific, that will govern over blueprint, but 
I, I think we've struggled in the past. So there may be just some value. And I don't know that it would actually go into the criteria, but some better clarity and guidance on how kind of rules we all want to live by on the storable older plants. Yeah. How also, even no, with the newer ones, where are disparities? You know, because we look at them uh, one at a time. And um, we're assuming that because they're newer, they are going to be more focused on equity. But are they? You know, where can we say, you know, where are there clear cut guidelines across all communities in the city that, you know, because that's essentially the, you know, uh, the the point where equity, you know, why we want equity. Um, they may look different, but are we achieving equity through these newer plans um, or are there some loopholes or some places where subjectivity can dominate and, and I, you know, I don't know exactly what I'm asking for, something that's probably going to take a lot more staff time than y'all have, but um, how do, it, it, we're going to have to be really, uh, really come over the, the plans that can be referred to to ensure that the outcomes are going to be equitable. Uh, that's that's what I'm trying to get at. I hope you don't mind if I respond real quickly to yeah. that, uh, Angel. This question or this topic, you may recall, came up at the Joint uh, Planning Board and Council right. meeting in November. Uh, and uh, it, we, we definitely registered that that was of interest to both board members and council members. And it is something that we're actually looking into for a, another one of a, another future joint meeting discussion potentially focused on this on this topic how we evaluate uh the outcomes of, of npi plans and how we how we evaluate the criteria when looking at plans of varying ages and that sort of thing uh, so the next two of these joint uh meetings so the, the one will be next week and then we're working on scheduling another one in april as, as brandon uh, mentioned that will basically be a, a follow-up discussion to the one we'll start next week okay. on the criteria. Those will be focused primarily on the rezoning criteria. The purpose of today's presentation was to basically get some of the intro slides out of the way so that we could launch right in next week, and we'll be giving the, a similar presentation to City Council on Monday in hopes so that we can kind of have some of that background information out of the way on the 24th. We're going to dive right into kind of this first half of the criteria discussion. That's good. Then uh, at, at, at a, another, you know, quarterly joint meeting that we're working on, schedule, on scheduling right now, we'll revisit the other criteria discussion that Rob and, and, and Brandon highlighted. Then after that, uh, we are hoping to schedule uh, up to two more joint meetings, uh, as, as you all have requested. Uh, and that topic in particular will be, you know, certainly one of the topics that we can actually uh, tee up for one of those meetings. So it's definitely something we're thinking about, maybe a little broader than than this particular uh, project, because it's really looking at, you know, how we how uh, the NPI program is uh, is scheduled and that sort of thing. But it's uh, definitely something we we heard a lot of clear uh, back in November from you all that, and we know from council members and from our own experience that this is an important topic as well. Definitely be looking into it and bring it to this board. Thanks. Thanks for that update. Um, so how are you tackling this uh, question? I always struggle with about how to incorporate public comments. I see a couple slides here, um, or maybe one slide 10, and it talks to that. Um, and a lot of conversations happen at the planning uh, 
during planning process, right? Like that's where the decisions are made. The zoning really is just to implement those decisions, not really change the decisions. So how, but yet we are talking about expanding uh, public outreach and maybe doing more of it and earlier. So, you know, in my mind that the question is always like to what end? Uh, what is it that we're really hoping to um, first uh, inform and um, what is the message, but then what is it that we're supposed to do with the feedback? It's mm. a great point. I think that kind of at a baseline, one of the key outcomes from this project is going to be that we're going to be doing more city-led and legislative rezonings around the time of a plan adoption. So therefore we have you know, we have the most people at the table during the planning process, and so we want to involve them and incorporate them into the legislative rezoning that comes thereafter. And then uh, I think really honing in on the rezonings that will benefit from the enhanced community engagement. And so that's why you see the enhanced equity considerations bucket and the additional requirements that we're thinking there. But I do think that there are other places where public input can come into this project. And I think that's what we're also planning to use a secondary joint meeting with you all to talk through that. I mean, ultimately, zoning is a tool for implementation of the plans, right? So as we adopt the plan, we do implement it. Uh, but uh, I also, just because I'm working on a project right now where <laughs> city actually is involved in a public process or public outreach, and I was caught off guard by it because typically that's just left up to a developer. Hey, you're going to rezone the property, please go do some outreach, but we're out um, of this process. So it's really difficult to know when the city engages and how. And I think there's equity concerns with that because if there's neighborhood that receives more attention by um, the nature of the fact that staff participates in that process um, versus another neighborhood who doesn't get that benefit, you know, how do we decide who, who does get the staff attention uh, during the public process? Um, so that's a great point. And I think in some instances, you also don't want to have that much or additional community engagement because it's not going to get you to the equitable outcome. So I think really carefully figuring out who deserves that extra engagement when it's necessary and the outcomes that we get that are necessary. Could I, well, I like to just tag on and then I'll go to you, Fred. I mean, I think you raised such an important point. Um, and I think there will be multiple discussions on how public input, and I really appreciate you adding the slides kind of talking about the equity around rezoning, but you're right. I think we can, you, you can see the frustration from citizens that come speak, and I'm sure council feels the same, where really that opportunity to really have a lot of that change was more at the time that the plan was being developed within the neighborhood, right? But now that the plan exists, you know, you're exactly right, the zoning is the implementation. And so while we want to do more outreach, it's a little bit more around education and notice that it is, you're gonna, you know, if, if a zoning complies with the plan, it should probably be approved and they're not going to stop it even if it causes traffic that they don't like or something, right? And so how do you, how do we, I get a little nervous thinking about the criteria and in public input because that's like way too late <laughs> and way too frustrating. And I think it's frustrating for the public and it's frustrating um, for, for us and for council where we can't really directly respond and they feel like their voice wasn't heard, but it, it, that's really not the case. It's, it's heard earlier. And so I think it's more around how do we message around the plans, less around the criteria on how public input is used when and when it's used. So Fred, uh, go ahead. 
That's great. I, and I'm kind of following up on this exact same subject because I think, you know, one of the challenges is obviously areas where we don't have recent small area plan guidance and we are relying on blueprint. Um, I think that this, in the presentation, it raised an interesting question about uh, engagement with the community prior to application versus post-application. And, you know, again, it's it's a little bit tough because we expect developers to go in and engage with RNOs really after they've submitted an application so that the community can engage on the application as presented and, and provide support or not because RNOs are officially asked whether they support it or not. And so there's a there's a little bit of question about that before, that after, and the balance of that. And one of the things that I think is important to remember from really from an equity standpoint is at what point are we asking the community too much from the community? You know, are we are we going to ask them to to get engaged and be part of the discussions before and oh by the way, also after once they get the the um, application in, you also need to get together and and say whether you endorse that or not. It's just it's just tough, and it's one thing again in some of these neighborhoods that are often more privileged neighborhoods that are able to stand up an RNO that meets every month, um, versus other neighborhoods where you know it can be a struggle to get that together quarterly, and it can be a struggle to ensure that those RNOs are really representative. So. You know, it, it, particularly in underserved neighborhoods, there, there's all kinds of issues around uh, community engagement, and I'm not always sure that it's quantity versus quality that we should be looking for. So I just want to want us to keep that in mind that it's not as simple. Yeah, more, more community engagement is more equitable. It doesn't always work that way. I think. Thanks, Sarah, and then. Was just going to layer on it. Are, are you going to switch topics, or I'll, I don't know. We're all talking about redundant. So <laughs> I just I'll wanted to layer it. on the engagement, how we engage with whom, and how the city participates. In some cases, the city would vet the design before it goes in front of the RNO to make sure that a project actually can be completed, which is great. And um, the more affluent communities get benefit of that. Uh, in other cases, it's the developer's burden to develop design and reach out to the community before they're even granted the entitlement, but yet they have to share something when they go in front of the community. So they're sharing a project that's not even titled, much less vetted through the city. So that goes to like setting expectations and um, the frustration from the community, like, well, you came and showed us this project and now it's called another project. Well, because of the process that it has gone through, it has changed. So. I just kind of want to add that to another layer of complication to how not only developers engage and with whom, but how the city participates in that process. Good point. Yeah, a few comments. Um, so, I mean, the whole goal of this project was to try to get away from these one-off rezonings. I think streamline the process. I think there's a little bit of concern seeing that it almost looks like there's more ways to do rezoning, now splitting up to like four different categories and whatnot. And, you know, for concern that there's not a neighborhood plan that's recent, like maybe they don't get to rezone. Like, so consider, like, it's important to finish our plan updates. We need to get that done. And the idea that if there isn't something recent, rather than trying to do more public engagement, more of this or that, just say uh, maybe there's not a rezoning, maybe there's batch rezonings done by the city, they get put on a list, something 
So then it's still moving away from the one-off rezonings that are happening that are causing the more work and more engagement from the community. Um, so just one thought after we like brought this up. The other thing for our joint session next week, it mentioned that we might be evaluating the review criteria. I didn't get a sense if staff is bringing their evaluation and presenting that since, I mean, this has been going on for a while. I know there's been evaluation. You guys have looked at other examples from other cities. So I think we, I would appreciate that we have something to respond to. And even if it's not necessarily a proposal or maybe you are proposing what the updates are, I think that would be uh, very useful uh, for our time. No, that's great. And I can clarify that it is going to be staff's evaluation of the criteria that you see and then our proposed approaches, which I'm hoping to send those presentations out in advance so you guys can have something to come in that meeting to react to. Yeah, and it may just be helpful for you. I mean, I know you're basically going to take this presentation and do it to city council next week at finance to preview. So I think it would be helpful to add a slide to just lay, lay out. And our plan at that next meeting is to talk about this next step because I think some of the questions that we've asked maybe could be headed off. That's great. Yeah, I'll jump. Fair. Um, so you guys have already come up with some some tweaks to the criteria, it sounds like. Some initial based, based on what feedback or, or just your observations? It's been kind of based on um, everything that we've learned and gathered throughout this project so through far. The through again. Um, peer City Research. Okay. And um, a lot of uh, task force discussions. So kind of from a lot of places, but over the course of the project. Okay, good. So you guys know Joel and I both participate on the task force. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm curious to see. And I think... Oh, okay. Rob, did you want to add something to that? Sorry. Oh, the, no problem. Rob's got his hand raised. Not, not, up to, not to that specifically. I had my hand up for, for some of the earlier discussion. I just wanted to make it clear that, that we're not going to... We're not planning on proposing any criterion that would that would um, uh, be tied to a level of engagement or outreach or uh, community feedback or input so there wouldn't be um, I, I just saw the conversation going that way and just wanted to clarify from a criteria conversation standpoint Good. we're not we're not going to have a criteria that speaks to that we're okay. planning on dealing with it through process yeah I think the one that comes up a lot of that feels kind of useless that public health and safety one um i don't know if you guys knocked that one out but i guess we'll find out um the other thing that i think is uh imperative is i mean i'm surprised that nobody really gets upset because we you know we offer these public hearings for people to share input but we've never given them the criteria to to speak towards or and i think that's a kind of simple thing um even just announcing it at, at the beginning of public hearings and giving it to them for the written public comments and you know that this is what we can address because there's you know when people take time out of their schedules or whatever to speak to just an open-ended question and it's really a multiple choice but they've been given an essay form I think that's one that you've heard enough about and I'm sure has come up. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily tie to equity. It's more um, of an equality thing. If we're all, if we're looking at say blueprint um, and we're looking at the criteria, then there's going to be certain things that fit and don't. I think those neighborhood plans are sort of the wild card still for me, which is um, where I'm really curious to see how we tie that in. But um those are that's something that I think can definitely 
curtail some of the frustration and time and, and streamline things. If, if we can't address it, we shouldn't be sitting here listening to hours or, you know, sometimes it's not hours, but sometimes it has been hours of comments about parking and we don't need density. Well, yeah, we've already decided we do, you know, stuff like that could really streamline. Oh, that's a good suggestion. I wonder if um, I was just looking to see what questions we do ask. You know when people fill out the online one where they go to submit comments? And I know you can send letters and emails otherwise, right. but I think you could add here are the criteria before they submit their comment, comments so that they to kind of help further guide them. Maybe they yeah, add more comments about these. Yeah, more comments questions. Right. What comments do you have about these criteria? Mm -hmm. Because 90-something percent are not related to our criteria. Very Most true. definitely. And I think that an effort in these joint discussions are to exactly remove what's not clear in our criteria and what's vague and remove that as well. And then also do a much better job of educating the public on how they comment on rezonings. If we're now going to be noticing two or three times as many people, it's really imperative that they come in with comments that are actually relevant to this discussion. Yeah. Other thoughts, deliberation? I Go ahead. Thoughts. Um, kind of a bigger picture, zooming out. That I think the overall tendency with all the rules and regulations and processes is that they're becoming much more complex and much more, less transparent. And doing this work um, with clients, consultants, uh, contractors, I think to explain process to the people that I work with is really difficult. And it's talking to people who work in the construction industry, who develop in other neighborhood other jurisdictions or you know have been doing it for a while. Um, I guess I don't know that I have a solution, but it is very difficult to understand the process and all the terminology, the zone laws and the the zoning is this, but this is not a project. We're not talking about the project, we're talking about the entitlement. I don't know how to simplify it um, to where the general public can understand because, again, like the engineers that I work with that understand that. Yeah, I mean, I think the task force has certainly echoed that, um, especially in like the notices and the, you know, the signs that go up and the letters that go out kind of really refining the terminology. I don't know what you guys would add, at least on that front. I mean, people expect to see a project when a project is proposed for rezoning, right? They don't understand um, the alphabet soup that we uh, <laughs> provide to them, the RH3 tool and X5. Like that, that is not um, legible to a human brain. Um, I'll just share a quick comment. Um, I, I appreciate you adding the slides that talked and, and speaking to the idea that part of this initiative is really to have legislative rezonings follow much more closely with the NPI because I think that that will, and you said this, address a lot of those a lot of the equity issues that come up because you don't have to have individual property owners taking a year of their time to submit an application and pay the fee when it's quite clear that the plan supports it, right? And it should happen legislatively, and I think that is a that will make a huge difference and kind of does, it kind of, we've already talked about it, so it gets brushed under the rug, but I think that in and of itself will be a major step forward. Um, and then I think as you look at the criteria, I think consistency with adopted plans sort of has to be the, the top um, and the most important. And I feel like the other criteria um, 
are really supportive of it as you kind of start thinking about that. I mean, some of them even kind of tie right back to it. Um, and so thinking about that relationship, but consistency with adoptive plans, it's just, it, it, you know, is the ultimate, if you will. And kind of gets double points in my mind. I don't know. <laughs> That's not how we quite, <laughs> quite put it, but yeah. Go ahead, Melissa. Um, sorry, I just wanted to pull out on part of this because probably would have been something that I would have wanted to say next week and I'm not going to be able to be there next week which I was going to have to tell you about now. Um, I'm pretty bummed about that, honestly. But I just, if we're talking about, I mean, I know we're talking about the zoning process broadly. If we are talking about actually embedding equity within to our rezoning process, I would really ask that we think about how we are talking about these things and how we are framing them and to whose benefit some of the things that we're talking about are like, like who is that for? Because um, just how I got here is this public outreach and input process. The outreach process, I, I mean, I've said this before, we've had this conversation, like it shouldn't be standard. That's equality, not equity. That's not how this works. It sh like it should be more flexible and responsive. That is not for our benefit that is for the benefit of the community that this will be impacting. How many people show up to make public comment and what they make public comment about and whether it's relevant to how we make a decision is our problem to sift through and not theirs to have to mitigate for themselves. Like this is one of the few obvious places that people are able to speak directly to public process. It is not just that we can't expect them to tailor their comments to be exactly what we need them to be like we shouldn't even ask that of people or like that shouldn't even be a part of the conversation like this is a public entry point to a public process that impacts people's lives it is our job to pull apart what is and isn't relevant and then go through this process to try and fix it if people are bringing up points that we can't talk about or can't make decisions based on and to that end the education about this and how we communicate and the language that is used is important again not because it makes the feedback that we get more usable because people in the areas that are impacted deserve to understand what is happening and deserve to have access to a very convoluted confusing process like the barriers that are up within planning and zoning are all process and language more than anything else that is people coming and giving public comment that isn't something that we can vote on is reflective of not them not knowing it is because this process is by design really really inaccessible to most people but this is the one place they can come talk about it. So just that is my ask, especially since I won't be able to be here next week, is to think about how we're talking about the changes that we want to make and who they're actually for and what the, the point of this is. Because the point, yes, the result is a better process, but that shouldn't be why you're embedding equity into this process. Can I feather out one thing you said? Because I, I agree. I mean, I think it is our job to sift through it. But I do think that one of the consequences sometimes can be frustration with the process or feeling yeah. like they weren't heard. And I do think that is something we have to kind of try to figure out how to fix. And I think it, yeah, 
speaks to kind of what you were saying at the end around the education and the transparency. And that's really part of the goal is making it clearer so that they can have a, a better understanding. But I just wanted to make sure that I understood your comment on that front. Yes. I just think that speaks to transparency and accessibility more than to the individual who's coming and saying something that maybe we can't do anything about. Whether or not, how I personally feel about how some of those things play out aside, because like there's only so much you can do and we're always gonna have that. Um, and we're always gonna have people who feel that they should be able to tailor the process to themselves. Like overall, it is more about how we're doing things than what they're actually saying and why they're saying it, I guess. So like that, I understand the frustration with that. And also that is on us as like the process that we're putting out there and how we're communicating, how you engage. Yeah, I, and I appreciate that. Um, I think there are two, two things that we're working on. One is, for me, um, streamlining and um, processes that um, logical processes are are helpful to uh, you. You know, I mean, we spend a lot of time on one off ADUs, legislative, the whatever. Who's going to do it? The state, the city. That's going to help. It's free up a lot of people's times because equity goes by the wayside when people are too bogged down and the loudest voices get what they need because people don't have time to listen. So I think uh, streamlining and efficiency are key. So that's one thing that I was talking about. Um, and it's logic uh, as well. Um, that's just any kind of um, civil sort of process. And that's mandatory for you know in my mind uh to fix the other thing is timing you know it's not that we don't want people having an ability to speak towards you know things that impact them zoning changes but the timing make it right instead of giving them just a perfunctory opportunity to speak at a time where we can't do anything about it um how do we do more outreach for those uh mpi processes blueprints done that things in writing for next 15 years uh, or so but how do we get people's input where it does matter and then not spend time having people talk for hours and you know get babysitters and show up or whatever when it doesn't matter that's that's equity and efficiency so i think both things are are needed you it's hard to get to equity when you don't have efficiency um communities uh um, don't have time. People in communities don't have time for all that. And the city doesn't have time to really get to these um, these implementation points if they don't have efficiency. You're just busy putting out fires and trying to get your paperwork done. So that's why they go hand in hand to me. Rachel? Um, I really appreciate most of what you were saying on this and I echo, I, I'm torn because I do think people show up. This is an entry point that they recognize, or I will say some populations recognize that this is an entry point. So that's a little bit of a, I don't see a lot of GES, lived in GES for 25 years showing up to fight an ADU. Um, so that aside, it is an entry point that certain people know about. Um, I wonder if there's not, and I know Fred has talked a lot about what is the role of planning board and how um, how can we do things better? Um, you know, there were fairly consistent concerns expressed um, 
And I wonder if there's not a mechanism to say, okay, um, you have a concern that your sidewalks are not adequate for your neighborhood. Um, we heard that there's a concern on stormwater drainage. Um, we heard that there's a concern of potential construction noise. I wonder if there's not a way, like all of those things have a person at the city that is a point of contact for those things. And so I wonder if there's not a mechanism for us to say like, okay, we can't address everything, but what we can issue is after a meeting is um, if you're having stormwater drainage issues, uh, here's, we heard that, here's the email to say, hey, my neighborhood is flooding on these days. Um, there is a person at the city who can address that. Um, if you hear construction noise and it's during outside of these hours, there's a phone number you can call for that. Um, and sometimes it's just 311, but I think even people don't know that you can call 311 for a number of these things. So I do think there are ways that we can, without, they're not part of the criteria, but I do think because folks are coming, there could be a fairly low effort way of even just on the planning board website of like, hey, if you're here to talk about, um, you know, stormwater drainage, here's the email for that. If you're here to talk about um, or pedestrian infrastructure, here's who you can reach out to for that. Just a, um, a thought because it is that it, this is a place where people are coming to and then they're showing up to city council and I'm not sure anyone is really following up here or there. Um, I know some staff on city council is really good at following up for concerns that are expressed, but otherwise, you know, if you hear from 80 people, like those, then it just kind of goes out into the ether. And I do think that's a source of frustration for people. Other points of deliberation or comments to share with you all is, because your hope a little bit is initial feedback on the existing criteria and then to kind of inform how we lay out the process next week with our joint session, right? And kind of make, make good use of our time. Is there anything else that you guys want to pull out or, or need to hear, Rob or Brandon? I was really um, kind of struck by Fred's idea of having a little bit more on public health, safety and welfare and knowing that that's kind of a big one that our task force has been struggling with. I wonder if there would be a benefit in having a little bit more information in front of you all about that one in, in particular before going into that joint session. That was a really so. great comment. That would be good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That one's the most mushy, I think, of all of them. Yeah. And it probably gives us more freedom to consider things than we do, I guess. We don't really talk about it a lot. It comes up occasionally, but I do think it's probably the one that has most flexibility and the most amount of leverage to, to make a decision that might, the other ones might force you into. It's really planning 101, like right. history of planning. Right. Yeah, but I've, I've always suspected that we don't really understand what the <laughs> origins of that are and, and thus really understand what that criteria is about. And and so, yes, I, I'd love to hear more about it. I'd love to get a little bit of context for it because, you know, there is some historic context in there. Um, and I just think that we... We feel it so mushy because we don't know the roots of it very well. And I, I mean, or I don't. I'm speaking for myself in this case. I, I think, you know, it seems it seems self-evident, but I think there's some history there that would be would be helpful for us to understand. But uh, yeah, back off the health, safety, and general welfare. Where is do we know where that is defined? Is that at the local level or state level? 
because just like just for like short shirts, I see a lot at different levels. So that rep can say a little bit to that. Yeah, it it, it kind of does have a, a long history with with planning and kind of how we got our power and the police power, right, to enact zoning comes first from the state and enabling legislation, but Denver's also a home rule municipality. So it's in our charter is kind of the other big the other big piece, right? So that the that city charter talks about empowering empowering us to regulate land uses and structures uh, for promoting health, safety, morals, and general welfare. So, um, you know, that that is kind of where wow. that's derived from. And we can definitely get into more of that um, history during that that next uh, discussion. Um, and we we absolutely will. So that's going to be an interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. I'm going to record it. I genuinely wow. said I won't be there. Um, I guess let me ask the planning board this as well. I mean, we have a limited period of time um, to both hear the presentation and then have the discussion with council. I don't know if we want to spend a little time kind of putting our thoughts together so that we're not all kind of hopping around or if you want it to be organic and do it that way, that's fine too. I just think, you know, as we learned in our last session with council, we basically had the chance to go around the room, do intros, and then go around the room and each say one thing, and then we all had to go. And this so, is one hour again, right? It's an hour and a half. Oh, an hour and a half. So I just want to make sure we make make sure that planning board's kind of key comments get shared, and um, but I also don't want to kind of limit anybody. So thoughts on how we want to organize it's ourselves or not. What's that? Is there a way to submit like this questions or statement or beforehand, or that mean that we at least have some time to say, "Hey, here's for that way this needs to address." Yeah, or maybe I mean this is just a thought, but if we wanted to try and kind of put something together, that I could kind of when we kind of kick off, say that we put a little bit of thought into this, and here are some of the things the planning board wanted to raise off. Um, I'm not having seen what's responding to yet. Yeah, I'm not responding to that. Yeah, but maybe I think after the presentation, if there's opportunity to send feedback, that's a good idea. Maybe we can spend more time processing and do a follow up, like share what we think off the cuff in the meeting
I'm not opposed to, I mean, we'd have to notice it and have it be, you know, kind of like a short work session or something. But if we felt like that was helpful, we could also just use, you know, half an hour during chair time at the end of the next meeting um, as well. If you guys have next meetings, you could. Then, yeah, the next meeting would be the seventh. <clears throat> I'd almost rather spend a, a thoughtful time where we're just focused on that because I think it, I think, I know I get tired at, depending on how long the meeting is, et cetera. By the time we get to the end of it, I'm not always sure that I'm as, as coherent and thoughtful as I'd like to be. I, I wouldn't mind spending 45 minutes on Wednesday, the 31st debriefing and leading us somewhere, but. Um, Caitlin, I heard you saying, I believe that you want us to kind of have a unified sort of stance um, in well, response I guess more possible of a question to you all of if you wanted to. I, I don't know that I feel that way necessarily. I just wanted to kind of ask the question of how you all wanted to approach the opportunities with these joint sessions so they're effective. But that's not necessarily. I, I think for me, understanding, so maybe questions within the short time we have. And then I do, I do think it makes sense for us to come and deliberate on our own and come back or send back. Um, these are, this is the position or these are the unique positions. <laughs> um, and maybe just use the time to understand um, at the um, session, the yeah, ask session. more around asking questions rather so. than responding but to comments. It's such a short time. Yeah, I don't think we have time to articulate that kind of shared position. Just on the curiosity, what do we see? Yeah, yeah. Um, what is the thought on maybe on the thirty-first meeting from three to four as a group? Once we've had the chance to process, is there? I'm available. Andrew, how do you feel about that? Are you okay with that? I can make that work and I just reserve this room uh, for that time. Yeah. Okay. Or we're going to do it in person. Somebody said virtual. I think we can offer a virtual for, for those that need it under our bylaws. Uh, so I know it's a long drive for an hour. So I get it. Um, okay. I'm good with that. So let's do that on the 31st from 3 to 4 so we can kind of regroup and put a little bit more good thought into our thoughts after hearing the presentation on the 24th and ask questions then. And obviously you guys are welcome to attend because I think it'll be more time for you to hear. I'm certain I can make that work for myself, yes. Cool. All right, anything else you guys want to talk about on these ones? Rob, Brandon, thank you so much. You. I know you guys started with advancing equity and rezoning and Got to also now talk about the all the criteria. It kind of grew a little on you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um thank I you. wanted to yeah, thanks, Rob. Um, is there anything else anyone wanted to raise up word? Um, the only one that I wanted to, and I'll bug you about this when we prep, but is um if there is an opportunity to have someone from CPD um and then we talked about it as a board, but kind of give an update on the search for the man, uh, search for a new director, but also kind of the recommendations that came out from the task force for the mayor's office. I know we were 
back to when we had our retreat, there was a question around the timing of when that made sense, right? Not too soon, give them time to kind of adjust, but I think we may be coming up on that. So maybe something to look at for a future agenda to hear from um, the planning department on these items. You know what I'm talking about? I do. Yes, thank you. And we we uh, we do have a plan to have uh, our acting director uh, join the board in February uh, okay. for the February seventh meeting. Okay. Uh, I think that she can probably talk to the um, the topic of you know kind of responding to some of those tra uh, transition uh, commentaries and uh, recommendations and how CPD is responding to that. I don't think that she'll be able to comment at all on the search for a new executive director. That's kind of out of the department's hands and more at the mayor's office level. Okay. All right. Well, with that, we will adjourn. Thank you all so much. Everyone, see you next week. Thank you.